in 2019, a ragtag group of internet wrestling fans came together to record some silly shit. They survive now and on cocktails as soldiers of hilarity. If you can find them and you can get their schedules together, you can listen to the A Team. <laughs> Hello to everybody out there. Welcome to Rogue Opinions and our Double or Nothing 2020 review. Uh, I, admit, I can't remember where it was, but I'm pretty sure someone else has used that as an intro, so apologize for not yeah. coming with anything original for that intro. Ross, Ross Twiddell and uh, Adam Pacitti may be getting in, con- in conversation with you very, very shortly, and I would just like it known that Nathan and I had nothing to do with the previous comments, so please don't name us in your lawsuit. <laughs> I'm expecting that cease and assist uh, any minute now, but but it's yeah. staying on the record, motherfuckers. Let's go. Uh, how could an 18 podcast start off any other way? Yeah. yeah so yeah, this is our, our double or nothing review. I'm Scott McLeod hosting this show because. Well, I thought it'd be nice because I think one of the first podcasts I did for Rogue Pines, now that we're a year old, was a Double or Nothing review with me and Carl. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think I'd ever spoken to Carl before we recorded that podcast, so it started out awkward as hell. (laughs) And this one is going to be doubly as awkward. Let's go. Pretty much. Guys, before we get get to the wrestling, I've got big news. I was a bit introduced to you, but... You talked over like the big time and fuck that you are. Yes! I didn't, I didn't realise we were doing introductions. You guys have just been talking for ages. <laughs> well, it's a bit too introduced because I felt bad you haven't had a chance to speak yet, but no, fuck you. Okay, guys, big news. And there's going to be a lot of podcasts that you guys listen to, a lot of double or nothing reviews, because that's what wrestling fans do. They're too scared to cover the piece of news that I'm about to bring up. A lot of podcasts won't be brave enough. A lot of everything won't be brave enough to bring up the fact that, ladies and gentlemen, Hitler's alligator is dead. <laughs> I'm sorry, one, one more time? Hitler's alligator is dead. And how old did this... I wasn't aware alligators lived that long. He was 84. Died. Uh, name was Saturn. Apparently. You sure it's not Satan? <laughs> Uh, that's not what this uh, very well-written piece of journalism says. But, uh, <laughs> yep, Hitler's alligator is dead. It strikes me as really funny that one cold-blooded beast owned another cold-blooded beast, <laughs> and then that cold-blooded beast outlived him. Well, some would say outlived him. Some of us know the truth, that he's alive and well in Brazil. Um but it's amazing to me that this all- I did not know that alligators lived that long, especially German alligators. <laughs> I don't know if he was a, a, a German alligator. Well, he must have been. I'm presuming he was blonde and had blue eyes. Does uh, Germany have swamps or marshland of some kind? I, I doubt it. Yeah, I doubt it as, as well. But he was apparently um, 
was put on public display in Berlin in Berlin Zoo. Did he have blonde uh, eyes? Apparently, he was brought over from the United States in 1936. So, uh, yeah, you guys get you guys gave Hitler an alligator. Well, a little little quid pro quo. You know how that works. You know. Yeah, exactly. Hey, hey, man, you give me an alligator, and um, and 40 years, we'll make sure that your your nephew is president. <laughs> the kind of top quality onion layered comedy that you come to rogue opinions for ladies and gentlemen year two is strong pretty much <laughs> but i just thought that was important to bring up because no one else is going to be brave enough to talk about that uh I, well because it is 2020 nathan i would like to congratulate you and say thank you for being so brave um and hashtag so strong to bring such controversial news uh to our desks um, and yes, I would like to applaud you for your bravery. Thank it was you. so bra- It was so brave. The other thing I'd like to know is what did that alligator know? And why Ooh. was it given? Why, did, why was it given to the Russians? Because it was in Moscow. Again, quid pro quo, man. <laughs> what that, what's that? What was that alligator hiding? Ooh, nuclear weapon secrets up its ass. <laughs> Hopefully, you can't see it, but I am furrowing my brow quite hard. <laughs> I can just feel it. I can just feel uh, it from here. Saturn's secrets go to his grave. Goodbye. Hit join, this alligator. Join the Rogue Opinions OnlyFans to see uh, the furrowing of our brows as we speak. I, I like the fact that they could, they said the alligator was Hitler's pet. And then in the next paragraph, they say he was on display in a zoo. That's not <laughs> where I keep my pets. Well, like, I think that just means there was an alligator in Berlin. Well, your 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 servants' quarters have to be somewhere, so you can't exactly <laughs> you can't exactly have a zoo as well, and so you just let your alligators roam free, which I prefer. I prefer my alligators to be free range, um, and organic first first and foremost. Do you think uh, Mr. Mr. Adolf asked them to call him Adolf Exotic, and he was the alligator <laughs> king? <laughs> Where is that eight part miniseries on Netflix? Balls in your court, Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> Alligator King, Adolf Hitler. <laughs> well, uh, you know, fucking that bitch, Joseph Stalin. <laughs> definitely murdered his friends and photoshopped them out of pictures well before there was a Photoshop. <laughs> but no, I just thought that was important to talk about. So thank you, Scott, for giving me the platform to do so on this Double or Nothing review. I don't really think I had to give you the platform. You kind of took it for yourself. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't. Mind, well, I didn't really know what else to say because well, the, platform, the platform that Nathan was just given was like in that episode of Family Guy where uh, Peter <laughs> builds himself a widow's walk when he goes out into the ocean, and uh, Lois gets on it, stands up on it, and immediately it breaks, and it's just like, <laughs> "You drunk." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, there you go. So there you go. Hitler's alligator is dead, but what is not dead is AEW because they're still running shows despite the fact they've got no fans. Well, they had some fans. They had the roster around ringside at Daily Space. They had the heels on one side, they had the faces on the other, and you had a few fans up near the stands, all spread out bit amongst all hundreds and hundreds of empty seats, also known as the five-star wrestling approach of filling a venue. Boom! <laughs> Boom! Scott with the 
Joke sniper's back, ladies and gentlemen. You thought he put his rifle away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After he shot that alligator. Oh, don't be spreading rumors like that. Scott, I, I'm sorry that he is defaming you in such a way that you would try and take out the 87-year-old Hitler alligator. <laughs> Nathan, all I will say is you'll be hearing from my lawyers. <laughs> Coming to kayfabe court, actual litigation. <laughs> yeah. I'm just making a note for tomorrow. Hire lawyers. <laughs> Jesus. But what do you guys make of like AEW having like the wrestlers around ringside? Because I heard a, I read a story from like the Observer earlier on that someone shared with me that WWE is considering getting like a performance center trainees basically to do a similar thing for shows going forward and. I would uh, like, why haven't you been doing that all along? Because I think we know, I noticed throughout the show that having actual people there instead of just an empty venue really makes a difference. I think so. Uh, I think that uh, in Daly's place, it's a little weirder uh, where this uh, event was held in Daly's place next to the Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium in Jacksonville, uh, Florida. Um, I think it's a little weirder than when they were doing the shows in Atlanta at the Nightmare Factory. Uh, just because it's like a bigger room and you can almost hear an echo. Um, but it's definitely a step above the performance center sounding like an old, empty like mansion where people are just diving around on one another and grunting. Uh, did you guys actually hear that uh, Howard Stern, after WrestleMania, did wrestling or porn on uh, the Howard <laughs> Stern show? And he just played audio <laughs> from WrestleMania and from porn. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. I, don't know that. I genuinely, when people, because I live in a, in a like a three family house, so when my neighbors would be walking through the hallway, I genuinely had to turn the volume down during like Charlotte and Rhea, because it sounds like really aggressive lesbian sex. <laughs> uh, just to echo part of Jimmy's point, which is the first part, that it does sound a lot better than the performance center. Because I've kind of been struggling a little bit to watch NXT, which is one of the shows that I watch weekly, just because it gets a bit of a drag watching wrestling with no fans for whatever reason, even though the wrestling's still top-notch. I think it did make a big difference. Uh, some of them being in gimmick, like the librarian people, <laughs> uh, was a bit weird, but it was funny when uh, Thingy knocked over her table. And uh, she, kept, she looked confused all the time, that woman. Um, probably should start off by saying I'm not like I haven't been watching AEW weekly ever really so I don't really know can't remember a lot of the names and stuff but I think it made a big difference especially I, I'd well be quite happy if WWE took like a similar approach as mm -hmm. well even though they'd obviously get like a load of stick for just copying ideas but yeah nothing's original anymore well, yeah. well, I mean, they, they already stole the idea for changing the hard cam position after they saw that it was an obviously better decision to not focus your camera on 36 empty seats. Um, they have it pointed at the stage now, uh, which is where it should have been the entire time. Um, and if they added 6 to 12 people who were fucking backstage anyway. Yeah. Like, I mean, if it's safe to do so, is the other thing we should add. Well, oh, the only out. What was that? Space them out. You spaced them out around yeah, the distance. Like I said on the, the WrestleMania like review, I can't remember which night we were talking about, but uh, at one stage you have uh, Mojo and Gronk on the, the platform 
and they were cheering during the entrance to win the matches. I said, like, they should have just left them up there all night, across both nights, just getting progressively drunk and then just had them heckling people by the end, throwing beer should, cans at the heels. We should have yeah, like, Lee Pace Man of the Year, the Godfather, and all his hoes. He could fill he could fill that arena no problem, and it would only no, cost you. Fine. Like he would do a group, he would do a group, like fee. It'd be fine. He doesn't actually ever charge for the women, though. He always is just like giving them away. Well, there you go. Like um, he could fill it no problem. That's why pimping wasn't easy because he wasn't making a profit because he kept giving them away. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think that they should, Gronk and, uh, Mojo definitely should have had, like, a beer pong table up there. Regulation, of course. Regulation beer pong table. Regulation cups. Regulation balls. They should have just been up there the entire time. So stupid drunk. Like, it would have, it would have made the show, like, ten times better. That would have been amazing. What's regulation, uh, cup size for you, Jimmy? For Uh, beer pong? Are we talking red, red solo? Red solo cups, yeah. Good, good. We're in agreement. I just wanted to make sure we weren't about to have an argument. I'm not a. I'm not particularly picky about the color of solo cup, but as long as it's that style of cup, that uh, about yeah, that size. I I don't mind if it's green or if it's color coded based on like the teams. Like if you had like the purple people eaters versus I don't know the red coats, you know, or whatever your team names are. Um. Oh, sorry, you're in the UK. Uh, the home team. Um, if you like had them set up and had their own colored cups, then you know that would be like that would be pretty cool as well. So I'm not particularly worried about the the color of the cup. Ah, uh, there you go. Well, that's good. So how was Double or Nothing, guys? <laughs> it was okay. Let's get back to talking about uh, party games that Gronk and uh, and Mojo could have played both nights of WrestleMania. <laughs> Sure, I think they should have been playing a uh, drinking Mario Kart. Well, they should, I, think what they should, I think what they should have done is when they went to do like the Boneyard and the Funhouse matches, move them to like a screening room and just have like half screen be the match, half screen be them, and just have them do a watch along for those matches. Oh, that would have been great if they were doing a watch along on YouTube, but they were doing like WrestleMania drinking game, mm-hmm. like it's just a live stream. That would have been amazing. Or like. They have them do like that one game where like they spin in a circle with their head on a bat, and then they have to like throw darts at something, you know, whatever like those physical challenges were from the '90s that everyone was doing. Um, just have them next to the ringside area doing double dare. Yeah, the other thing that we're, we're forgetting is that they're both super fucking annoying. <laughs> well, yeah, that I, that's why I'm saying capitalize on that annoyance by have them rolling around in slime or mud, or, you know, like, like irresponsibly chasing after women who don't necessarily want to have sex with them, but are susceptible <laughs> to the implications. Excuse me? We went from party games to a completely different direction. I mean, you guys definitely didn't go to the same parties I went to then, obviously, because that's what you could have had around the ringside area, a Gronk house party. Well, we could have had sexual assault. No, 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 no. It's like it's like in that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's about the implications. Guys, we're under quarantine. I got a Steve Winwood album. There are some candles. And I have a beer. What's up? <laughs> you know who's probably good at party games? Private party. And they were Oh, he's brought it back! <laughs> now, Nathan, I know you didn't watch the volume. Uh, it was only half an hour long. And 
it was Private Party taking on Best Friends for a title shot at the EW Tag Team Champions So are Kenny Omega and Hangman Page for forgetting that because basically they've done nothing with those tag titles since Revolution and Jerry I don't know about you like we talked a bit all about you mentioned your thoughts a little bit before we started recording but I know they had like half an hour on the on the buy and almost a kickoff, and they started like a few minutes in, and yet it still felt like they didn't have that much time because stuff felt rushed. In private parties, some of their moves didn't feel as smooth as they usually did. I think they they've only been wrestling on dark the last few weeks, so for some people who don't can't keep up with everything AEW's putting out, basically it feels like to them that private party kind of disappeared before this, and I don't know, like like there were a few good spots like uh, when they. When Chucky T, I think it was, grabbed one of the Pirate Party's legs to prevent them from hitting uh, Gin and Juice and stuff like that. But, like, I just feel like other things, like, it wasn't a bad match. I just expected more. I I, I completely agree. Um, this felt like uh, I actually hadn't known that they were still working uh, on Dark. I haven't really been watching weekly wrestling uh, the last few weeks. But, uh, yeah, I, I think what the. What Private Party and Best Friends should have done is maybe spent a few days before uh, Saturday night sort of working this match out and sort of trying to get it down. Because uh, Private Party, like you said, it just didn't seem as fluid and as comfortable as they normally do. Um, Mm -hmm. And Best Friends sort of came across like, at least to me watching it at home, it felt as if like they didn't want the responsibility of having to carry the match. So they yeah. were out there doing what they were doing and private party just sort of had to work with that. I'm not taking either side. I have worked a little bit with private party. They're great guys, great performers. Uh, Tremperetta and Chuck E.T., they're great performers as well. Um, but it almost seemed like a, uh, hey, we know we're on the kickoff, so let's just sort of put something that's serviceable out instead of like really uh, going for it. Um, it wasn't a bad match, but it also wasn't particularly very good. Mm-hmm. Um and that's disappointing, but overall, like, it's good to see that these guys get a- an opportunity to become uh, number one contenders for the AEW Tag Team Championships. And I'm looking forward to Best Friends versus uh, Kenny uh, Omega and Adam Page. Yeah, I mean, like, one of the most glaring errors in this match, I don't want to like, pick too much like, at it, but there was a spot where I think it was uh, Mark Quinn went for a kick on Trent. Trent grabs it, he's made spin it round, and uh, Cassie was made to catch it. And you could tell that Cassidy missed the boot and then had to awkwardly like make it make out like he'd caught it. And it was one of those like errors like that that made it really hard to get into the match. And yeah, I think it was like obvious that best friends were gonna win. A question I have for, uh, for you guys is do you see best friends taking the tag titles from Hangman and Kenny? I'm of two minds about it. Um on the one hand, um Adam Page and Kenny Omega have really become a really formidable tag team um, since joining and becoming tag team champions. And that, of course that match at revolution was bar none, one of the best uh, tag team matches on American soil or any other soil in the world. Um, but on the other hand, best friends have kind of been there the entire time. Adam page, I know was in Virginia for a few months uh, because of quarantining and not being able to travel and whatnot. Obviously he was in Jacksonville for the main event. Um, whether whenever they film that, because uh, obviously it was recorded previously, um, but I could see it happening because best friends are there all the time. But I also 
would not like to see it happen so soon, especially now that Adam Page is back. I, I mean, it depends on where they decide to go with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey. I would. I would say that like um, like I'm someone who's not really been watching AEW every single uh, week or really knowing much of what's going on. That it kind of feels like maybe the best friends are they a would are they actually a good enough team to beat someone like Kenny Omega and Adam Page? Although Adam Page seems a little bit all over the place, judging from the main event. <laughs> um, like, are they on the right level, or would it feel a bit weird to watch the best friends be like? Would it be weird if they pinned Kenny Omega? I guess is my question. I think the larger problem is that with Kenny Omega, he doesn't seem like the Kenny Omega of New Japan on a weekly American television show. He seems a little like stagnant and sort of lost most of the time because Adam Page is easily the star of that team. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, he seemed to like when, well, we'll get to Stadium Stampede later, but it didn't really feel like Kenny Omega was this godlike wrestling figure that people perhaps build him up to be, but it was a very ridiculous and over-the-top match, so... It's probably the wrong place to kind of judge that. I can kind of see best friends win the titles for a couple of reasons. One, I think you can get around the believability by the fact that Hangman and Kenny Wilde have been in the elite. They've not been an actual team, whereas the best friends have been teams for a while now. Uh, I think if you're going to tell the story of like the ascension within the elite, especially amongst like Hangman, I know he stood with an event, but he's still it seems like unsure where he sits in the group. I think in the next stage that story, if you're going to tell it, but the ascension, I think that should involve them losing the tag titles to kind of create that. And I think it'd be an interesting like story for their best friends because I've actually done some research. The best friends have not actually won a set of tag titles together in any promotion. So if they actually won the AEW tag titles, it would be the first time they've ever won uh, tag titles together as a team. They've won them tag titles with like separate partners and never together. I think that would be a good story of them like coming together in AEW and winning their first ever tie titles. I have a I have a question for you, Scott, specifically because you're still on the uh, the retro SmackDown journey um, while I'm out busy being a hero. <clears throat> um, what I've heard from uh, a few people, um, actually, it was on another review of this show that I listened to that because of uh, Orange Cassidy. Um, they sort of seem like the modern day equivalent of Too Cool and Rikishi, um, because like their slight comedy, especially with how big of a star uh, Orange Cassidy has become after his match with Pac, and after like just like, like tonight the performance on uh, Double or Nothing and everything. What do you think of that sort of comparison of like the best friends or the Gentlemen's Club, whatever you feel like calling them? Those three guys sort of being like Too Cool and Rikishi. Well, in the current timeline we're on, uh, Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor have just made their like re-debut as Too Cool, and uh, they're technically still heels at the minute. I think we're at least a month or so away from Rikishi coming back. But having like, seen some stuff from 2000, like, Too Cool are easily get the biggest spots to some of those shows. And I think it's a fair system because like, when the workers, like best friends, were getting some big reactions every time, especially with the state that Orange Cassidy does. So I think it's not a bad comparison in that, yeah, some people say they fall into like that tag team like, category, but too cool in 2000 when they were over were pretty successful. I mean, 
Scotty Zolai got the light heavyweight title, Tukul got a brief title, Rain Rikishi got the IC title. So like, it's not as if they were a comedy act that never won championships. And I think that that's a really interesting statistic that you that you brought up, that they had never like won tag titles together as the best friends. Um, so, I mean, depending on... Because I, I think this is what AEW does really well with these big shows, is that they book, like, including with the buy-in and the main show, they seem to bookend their uh, their live shows like very, very well, because the opening match here at the buy-in played directly into some of the things that happened during Stadium Stampede, um, Milky Whiskey and all. Um, <laughs> so, which made me fucking gag, let me tell you. When, never, we'll get into it, but... Um, so, like, I think that they bookended it very well, but depending on what story they're going to try and tell going forward, especially with this no crowd thing, uh, Eric Bischoff was talking about on 83 Weeks where these last three months are going to just disappear from history as soon as humanly possible. And if they were to do a big, like, elite breakup or Adam Page splitting from Kenny Omega breakup thing with no crowd... Does that diminish that story and that tag title run? I don't think these three months will be forgotten because, especially across the AEW, like we had the the thing of I think AEW will replay the moment like later on of like the first TNT champion being crowned, and like in WWE there's like moments of like Drew's first WWE title, and so they are doing creating moments that they are going to want to talk about in years to come. So whenever they show replays, they'll it'll clearly show a lack of crowd. I think unless they have to like show them from certain angles so i don't think these things will necessarily be forgotten but i think i can get the point he was making but as much as we didn't really like this buy-in match they started off the main show in the best way possible because i don't think you can go wrong with opening your show with a big multi-man ladder match and we had the casino ladder match now i think the best way we can break this up because so much happened is we start off talking about everything that happened up until the mystery ninth man was revealed, and then just take it, and then talk about everything that happened after the reveal. Okay, uh, do you do you have the uh, the order written down for the mm-hmm. competitors? I think so, yeah. So it started off with uh, both members of SCU. I mean, what were the chances of that happening? Uh, one in nine. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the numbers the numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you. A sacrifice. And double or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so we started off with SCU with a giant clock in the background that JR even had to laugh at the size of it. Uh, then we had Kit Saban come out with help from Jimmy Havoc, who was wearing, looked like he was wearing Dexter, Mor- Dexter Morgan's business casual suit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Real quick. Um, before we got, to, before they started the casino ladder match, they played a few back to back to back promos from some of the competitors. And this can't go unsaid. Joey Janela referred to Tony Khan as Big Arms Tony. <laughs> now, I've I've never met Tony Khan. I'm sure he's a lovely man. Uh, I've heard he's very bright and everything. But Big Arms Tony, I have to know where this nickname fucking came from. I have to know. Because, my God, he's not... Um, the nicest way of saying this he doesn't appear that he hits the gym as much as some of the people he employs um 
And for someone to call him Big Arms Tony, was there like a practical joke that was played where like they made him thought that he was like lifting up a really heavy barbell or whatever? <laughs> or like, did he, like, did, I, I don't know, I remember if it was Excalibur uh, or Tony Khan or somebody got into a fight with Jimmy Havoc at like Long John Silver's or wherever the fuck they were having that birthday party a few months back uh, for Tony Schiavone or something. And uh, apparently Jimmy Havoc got, like, knocked out or something. I, I, don't, I don't know how much is of that was true or whatever. But, like, if that's the derivation of the nickname, he's got to be a character now and come strutting out, like, 1999 Vince McMahon, like, <laughs> big arms fucking Tony. Like, I just, I needed, I needed to get that out because that really stuck out to me, that he called him big arms Tony. Maybe it's just big arms Tony compared to Jerry Janela. <laughs> Or maybe it's an ironic thing that his arms aren't that big. So they call him Big Arm Tony. Who knows? Tony, uh, so Tony biceps. <laughs> so yeah, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll keep going with the with the Twitter gimmick that I that I've got. I will ask Joey Janela on Twitter right now. <laughs> Joey Janela may actually answer you back. That's like a person that may get back to you. <laughs> Someone has to one day. Well, no. hey, listen. Uh, no, he didn't. Fuck it, I hate him. I'm glad he lost. No uh, spoilers. A week, a week after you'd ever like tweet, uh, like tweet at these people, you should always just send them from the Rogue Opinions account. Fine, I fucking hate you. And <laughs> like, just just if they don't get back to you, if they do get back to you, cool, whatever, awesome, that's great. We can have a conversation. Maybe even have them on the podcast, but. I think if they don't answer you back, at them again, fine, I fucking hate you. <laughs> but anyway, the match. Going back to the order, yeah, I think you said uh, Kit Saving came at third with help with Jimmy Havoc. Darby uh, Allen comes at fourth, he absolutely kills himself immediately. Number five was the star of the match, hands down, in Orange Cassidy, and more on that in a second. Uh, Colt Cabana is sixth. Uh, seven, I believe, is Joey Janela who immediately doesn't even go to the ring. He just dies off the side onto whoever's there. Uh, eighth was Luchasaurus. And then also we have the, the ninth entry to come out later on, who we'll get to. But again, like Orange Cassidy, I think most of the highlights for me in this involved him. Like his failure to understand how the match works and Excalibur saying, Tony Khan explained to you this at least 200 times how this match works. <laughs> Excalibur, the way his tone changed for this bit was like the guy behind the mask was just like so fucking fed up with Orange Cassidy. He was just like, and then even after Cassidy walked away and they were commenting on how like it was down to like a minute and 20 uh, left on the clock and Orange Cassidy hadn't even made it to the ring. Excalibur chimes in again and goes, seriously, it was 200 individual times Tony Khan (laughs) sat him down and told him how the details of a ladder match worked and his promo before the match Chucky e. T and Tremperetta were there attempting to tell him how to climb a ladder. And he even did the thing he did during the match where he stepped on the wrong part of the ladder. And uh, Chucky e. T was like, no, maybe you just like you stand it up like how a ladder works and then you climb it. And then there was a moment in the match where Orange Cassidy fucking you could tell just by the look on his face figured out how a ladder works. <laughs> It was really funny in his pre-match promo where the final thing he said was uh, when he just went, I'm going to practice. 
<laughs> I needed like six more minutes of that promo. That was it was really really funny. I love Orange Cassidy. Can we talk about um, Darby Allen trying to break his ankles? Can we talk about skateboard Havoc totally missed a fucking Hurricane Rana on the top, like his one major spot during the match, and he fucking like nearly broke his own back on a fucking ladder he set up. Yeah, there no. were a lot of. There were a lot of like messed up Harakaranas on this show. I say a lot. There were like three that I can vaguely remember. I think uh, uh, Frank Kazarian did one on Luchasaurus that looked absolutely dreadful. Yeah, there was another one in another match that we'll get to later as well. But like, what's going on with the Harakaranas, guys? No idea. Because <laughs> like, um, I had Darby Allen to win this, I, I thought he was going to get the title shot. And immediately as soon as he did that thing with the skateboard and the way he was clutching his, his leg, like, I don't know if he was legit hurt, even though he got back in the match later, or if he's just very good at selling. But I legit thought, like, they were going to come out and, like, Darby Allen was going to get taken out, like, and taken to the back because I thought he legit fucked his leg. Yeah, it was a bit brutal looking. But uh, I liked Luchasaurus playing the massive guy mm-hmm. when he came out because I think that was the one thing this match. Um, oh, quick... Uh, question for you, for you guys: What did you think of the setup for this match? That you could win before everyone had come out, but everyone wasn't out at the same time. I don't know if they've done this sort of setup before, but I just thought it was new for a ladder match for me. Like, what did you make of the rules? Hey, I liked it because I think it was a sense of urgency. But like, uh, as soon as the next guy comes in, they're going to try and stop you. It's going to start a brawl, and then usually because it's only two minutes by the time that person then tries to claim someone else is coming out. So it kind of makes some sense, like, because I have heard, like, the common complaint of, like, war games, and that technically the match doesn't start officially until everyone's in, but by that point, you guys have been wrestling for, like, 20 minutes, so, like, what have the first 20 minutes been? So I think that avoids, like, that confusion, like, oh, technically you can't win the match until everyone's in, like, it's what you meant to do for, like, however long it takes till all nine people are in the match. Yeah. I think that... The only, like, after a few minutes, after, like, the third competitor came in, it was easier to sort of digest. But I I think, really, the people who come out looking kind of the dumbest here is SCU. Like, they're a tag team alone in the ring together. Nobody else is out there for two minutes. And they decide to exit the ring, get ladders, come back in, drop the ladders, and then have a little bit of a wrestle for two minutes until Kip Sabian... I'm sorry, Battle Twink number one and his weird, <laughs> like, basement-dwelling uncle, Jimmy Havoc, in the blood-stained tuxedo, decided to come out and ruin everybody's fun. Um, I, I heard somebody, I think it was Ross on Cultaholic, who will be suing Scott pretty pretty soon, uh, did the whole, like, uh, Jimmy, mate, you got, a, you got a little red on you. Um, <laughs> that, that suit was fucking killer. Though I thought that suit was pretty cool, uh, with the blood splatter on it. But the red, like, like fingernail paint, uh, nail polish is the actual word I was looking for. That's a little weird. That I mean, even fucking what's his name from TRL doesn't do that shit anymore. Carson Daly. There we go. That's his name. Talk about SCU. There was a moment I, I forgot about until just now. Hey, I don't know what you guys think of this. Because I talked about dissension earlier on in tie teams, but uh, I believe it was Joey Janela hits Frankie there in the back with a chair as he's trying to climb the ladder. But Frankie doesn't like turn around immediately because he's still in the back. 
But when he turns around, uh, Scorpio Sky's got the chair because he took it off of Janela. And Frankie's there and looks at him and say like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, one, I get what you're trying to go for here because you're like, maybe teasing the sense amongst the team, but like, it's every man for himself. Why are you annoyed at this? I know he's your tag partner, but only one of you can win. Yeah, only one of you can win this giant poker chip. I think, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little weird. I think that like, it, it really like, they chose poorly to have Christopher Daniels cut the type of promo he cut before the match where he said if either of them win, it's a win for SCU, but then they go out there and very much are not a team for the majority of, uh, of this ladder match. And um, yeah, I just think, I just think that that may be why, because I thought the same thing, like, like I see where you're going with this, but like, why would you go that way with it? I don't know. It was, it was very strange unless they're planning on moving sky to, uh, like a like a singles run sometime soon or what have you. Uh, but also, Scorpio Sky hit Joey Janela so hard with that with that chair across the back that Joey Janela's na- uh, name is now no longer the bad boy. It is fucking motherfucker Joey Janela because <laughs> he was he was literally. It sounded like he must have been holding the camera. Because all you heard was fucking motherfucker in that, like, Jersey accent of his. And it was just like, son of a bitch, dude. So many people cursed so bad. Like, it makes me cringe having worked wrestling shows for pay-per-view and, like, for home video and stuff. And then if somebody does something like that, then you have to do a whole series of, like... I mean, I'm sure they're not going to do it, but sometimes if you're trying to sell the pay-per-view on a secondary market or something, or if you, if God forbid this, this quarantine gets worse again and they can't do live shows and they have to replay the pay-per-view on television, somebody's going to have to go in and edit that. You know what I mean? For broadcast. It's just like, I get you're selling the move, but like, don't drop two F-bombs back to back on each other. Cause then all of a sudden you're just going to have like a gigantic beep for like two seconds. And that's going to throw a lot of people off. Yeah, they need WWE's editing team. They saw that out immediately. <laughs> yeah, they they hit that seven second delay. Yeah, you got a quality team. Uh, should we talk about the surprise entrant? Yeah, because it was Taz. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. came out first. <laughs> uh, you heard his voice first because, like, like, you immediately know it's Taz because Taz is not a voice you can disguise very easily. He's got a very distinct voice. And I remember there were so many names going around, like, all, like, former WWE guys, like, Chris Hero, I heard, was the name, Drew Gulak, Rusev at one point, and I think they made the right choice not having a former WWE guy in it, so instead they brought out a former Impact guy, <laughs> and Brian Cage. Yeah. Who... Two, okay, two quick things about the Brian Cage thing. I think that it was confirmed in a media scrum afterwards that uh, they had signed him back in January and he wasn't going to be ready until now um, to, to debut. But I think when WWE released those 39 uh, people from their roster, Taz, Tony Khan, and Brian Cage were probably just rubbing their fucking hands together like, good, good. No one... I never even saw the name Brian Cage like rallied around at all in this conversation because it happened at the perfect time. He was a blip in the news. Uh, not to dis- d- diminish the guy's accomplishments or anything. I think the world of Brian Cage. 
But um, I think that when WWE, uh, WWE released all those people, that must have been like a breath of fresh air. Everybody involved in this must have been like, this is going to be fucking excellent. No one's going to expect this. And secondly, who can stop the path of Cage is the dumbest, least <laughs> fucking aggressive thing I've ever heard at the beginning of a fucking... <laughs> Like introduction theme, like I would have, I would have liked it better if it was like the beginning of Sable's entrance theme, and then Brian Cage walks out with Taz, and for a split second, because you have Taz walk out first by himself, you're like, don't tell me this fifty year old dude from the Bronx or Brooklyn or what the fuck ever is gonna try and suplex somebody. He doesn't have a neck left. The man is a bowling pin, like. Like, you can't expect, oh, it's Brian Cage. Holy shit, he just ripped a tiny ladder in half. Somebody keep him away from Marco Stunt. And then he came out and just tore the house down. I thought he did. I think that this match really uh, amped up and really sort of found its, like, natural footing when Brian Cage came in, especially them burying um, him under the poker chip and everything. And then Joey Janela doing the Death Valley Driver onto the poker chip and um, Brian Cage under there, I thought that was maybe spot of the match for me. Yeah, because like, like you said, it was a smart decision because like the rumors of him going there died down very quickly, especially after he and his wife especially went on Twitter and basically said, this is not true, he's not going to AEW. And also, like you said, so it didn't mean it was a genuine surprise and he like ripped the the ladder in half, which a lot of people compared to Kane's debut when he ripped the cell door. It's kind of like a display of like how strong this guy is. And he killed everyone. And I remember my initial thoughts were, all right, them doing like the spot where they bury him on all the things, that's a way to protect like the big surprise like guy debuting and not make him look weak on his debut by not if you don't if you don't want to have him win, because that was a big thing. And then was like if you if you're hyping up the surprise entrant, it almost felt like the surprise entrant had to win. Otherwise, the surprise kind of falls flat. But then I thought, oh, well, they protect them by having them get everyone have to team up to take him out. And then, like, fucking something like Michael Myers, he just rose under everything. And we got this showdown with Luchasaurus, which I thought they were holding off on until, like, later down the road. And then they just had probably one of the best sequences of the match between him and Luchasaurus. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree that when you uh, cage quite handedly taking down Luchasaurus and uh, I can't remember what his finish is called but I'm pretty sure he did it on Darby Allen. that was it it's a suplex into the pile driver thing oh that looked awesome oh man that, it, that was really 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 cool but I think they they did the exact right thing with uh, Brian Cage like the guy's huge he's jacked you can build him up to be an absolute tank and they did the like, they definitely did the smart thing of having everyone have to team him up team up and take him down and bury him very much like uh kind of the same thing as what they they had to, what the guys in the money in the bank match did a year two years ago to Braun Strowman when they all teamed up and buried him and then he ran through a ladder like they gave him kind of the same treatment with Brian Cage and just made him look like a million bucks I think winning especially was just again just made him look top-notch as well, yeah. and having a guy like Taz as well, because Taz, uh, he he is a great promo. He's a terrific talker, which is obviously why he's been was so successful on commentary for so many years. 
And um, whereas Brian Cage, I saw some of his stuff in Impact. Uh, he's not necessarily the best speaker, but he doesn't have to be because the guy looks a million bucks. Mm-hmm. So I think I think this one. I think this is the, the right decision. Weird thing to climb up and get, but I think <laughs> if they do this yearly, we'll get used to it. I, I imagine everyone on the internet said the same thing when it was a briefcase. So we'll get used to it being a poker chip if they do this yearly. I think uh, no one encapsulated the uh, mystique of this partnership better than Big Dick Tony Schiavone himself when he said, aligning yourself with a person such as Taz, I mean, he knows all the moves. (laughs) And most of them are think. I think... Oh, I have a hack theory for you, Nathan. I think you're going to love this. I think that you might, we may have to cover this in long form at some point. Okay. But is Brian Cage Gargamel? Because, I don't know if anyone caught this, but Brian Cage, his tongue was blue. I don't know why, but to me, that says he was eating Smurfs. I mean to say he's Gargamel. Like we're talking, we're talking at a jacked up Gargamel. Well, like, yeah, we're well, talking next level. I've not like is is Brian Cage magic? Can he perform magic? Have we seen that yet? Because don't forget, Gargamel was a magician. Well, he just debuted. We have to give him some time. If he performs magic, I'm willing to revisit this. So let well, me know. Well, no, see. Remember how Gargamel's whole thing was that he wanted to eat the Smurfs because he thought it would make him more powerful? Does this just prove that Gargamel was right the entire time? He snaps the fucking head off of uh, off of a like Papa, Papa Smurf, Smurf, yeah, or or you know, or something like that, like Ozzy Osbourne with a bat takes a couple bites and then all of a sudden his arms are gigantic. He takes another bite and he's got a giant chest. So that's why he was the last entrant because he was in the back like eating smurfs like fucking oreos and then he had to win this match quickly because if he didn't he would lose the power and have to eat more smurfs well didn't gargamel also wanted to turn the smurfs into gold we're forgetting that bit where's where's his gold i mean taz is taz is potentially he's not far away from the color of gold at times so maybe that's it but didn't gargamel also have a cat Maybe Taz is Gargamel's cat. Ah, Gargamel. Taz is a cat. That would explain a lot, to be honest. Unless Taz is a robot and a cat is controlling him. I'm not willing, to to be honest with you, I'm not willing to rule it out, but I'm also not convinced that Brian Cage is Gargamel. Guys, stay tuned for Rogue Opinion's 10-part miniseries where we try to determine whether or not Brian Cage and Taz are Gargamel and his cat from Smurfs. Asriel. Because the cat was called Asriel. Asriel the cat. Did you Google that just now? Tell me just you just now, Googled yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just now. You know what? I just, I just Googled, Google. did Gargamel have a cat? It just came up with Asriel. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Dino Mutt to fucking uh, the Blue Falcon or Muttley to Dick Dastardly. Asriel the cat to Gargamel. Oh my god. I'm crying. I'm like tearing up from laughing so hard just now. Good opener, though. You know who else was blue? Everybody who likes wrestling and also lives in the UK, when they realized, when they found out that Fighter Fest was going to be in London before this fucking pandemic happened. 
course. Is that it, true? I heard that they, that's what they were going to do this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, they are still doing Firefest. They'll probably do it from Daly's place. And that is where Brian Cage is set to get his title shot uh, for the EW title. And I think the way I see this going is he'll probably get like a couple of squash matches to build them up in the next week or so. Because they've got like a month before Fighter Fest. I think the whole thing with Darby Allen and Taz being angry that Darby Allen wouldn't take his like advice. I think Darby's going to get involved and like protect Cage, not losing that title match clean. And then that will lead to Darby versus Cage probably all out, which they did confirm is happening the 5th of September. See, now, I think uh, that there's already that built-in story because on commentary, Taz has had like a lot of like issues with Darby Allen and the way that he conducts himself, like just in his calls. So this may have like organically come up uh, after Cage was signed and they determined uh, that they wanted to stick him with Taz and they, they could play it where like, I don't know, Taz like tried to get to talk to Darby and then Darby was like, nah, fuck off, bro. Bro, like I, I don't want to like, I don't need your help. I can jump off ladders by myself. And then he was like, well, fine. I'll go get this big jacked Gargamel looking motherfucker and we'll show you. And then he wins the ladder match and he could be like, told you, bro. I told you. And you didn't listen to me. I think they could do some good promos between Darby and Taz to build like this match, especially like you can have Taz call back to ECW where he's like, I've seen guys take similar risks to you and like have short careers. Like I'm trying to do this. Like I'm trying to help you. And basically, like, the beating that Brian Cage is going to give you, it's basically for your own good. I think you can tell a really good story there. Absolutely, yeah. I think that could be really, really fun. Because I think one of the main success stories to come out of AEW since they began is Darby Allen. Like, he's really caught on. And the way that he's been able to change his uh, approach to certain matches, like when he came out in the body bag when he wrestled Cody, or when he does, like, those little short films before he wrestles uh, bigger matches and then like the skateboarding to the ring and using all that stuff. I think that anything you put Darby Allen in is money and he seems sort of bulletproof to like losing feuds. Um, so I think that that could be a really built in story. Also just give me Luchasaurus versus Brian cage for like 45 minutes. And I would sit there and enjoy every fucking minute of it. Oh yeah. I mean, I think we're, we're guaranteed within the next year we're going to get that, and I actually wouldn't mind seeing Cage versus Wardlow. That would be cool, too, yeah. Because, like, they seem to be building up their own division of big guys in the right now, because they've got Cage, Luchasaurus, Wardlow, Archer, uh, almost call him Harper there, uh, Brody Lee, like, they've got a lot of big guys at the moment. I just noticed that. Well, because this is another example of AEW listening to its fan base, because a lot of the things that I heard either on podcasts or just in conversations with workers or other people in the business, the first one of the first things that came up in conversation was AEW doesn't really have many big dudes. And regardless if like Hoss matches aren't your thing or whatever, that can diminish the look and feel of a product if every match is guys who are 220 pounds or less so you have these big guys come in and now all of a sudden you hit that normal point of well mr Brody lee is not going to be very happy that brian cage walked in here and now he has an AEW title shot or luchasaurus is not going to be happy and then you have all these guys on a collision course with one another and it's not the land of the giants that wwe was for so long it sort of came up 
organically. And I think that's what AEW has been doing fairly well since the beginning. AEW isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it definitely does have some sort of tangible connection to what the fans are saying. And I think that that's what this is a product of. Yeah, Mm -hmm. 100%. Agree, and I think they've done a great job of not just going out and getting big guys for the sake of it. They have got um, the right big guys. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, one tiny, tiny nitpick. It's not even really a nitpick. It's just kind of an observation because there's nothing you can do about it apart from not having him there. But bringing out Brian Cage, who is jacked and quite a big guy, but then having Billy Gunn in the crowd, who dwarfs him. <laughs> like was kind of just weird because I kept seeing Billy Gunn at the corner and be like Billy Gunn is so much taller than Brian Cage <laughs> like <laughs> which I just that think would be a match because that forget, would be a match I'd watch too oh yeah it'd be great Billy Gunn can still can still go um, but he he is a gigantic man like I saw him at a comic con uh, years and years ago in London and he is ridiculously huge and um, because he never probably got over to the level, you never really realize it. But he is a mountain. Like, so well, they a, lot people, a lot of people he was probably working with at the time in WWE, like, he was among the of Triple H and he had that feud with The Rock. I mean, he's worked with a lot of guys who are tall themselves. Like, especially like he was teamed with The Big Show briefly. So it's hard to look tall next to The Big Show. So I think it's partly why he was basically who he's around with. Only when you see him by himself, you're like, God, you're one tall motherfucker, aren't you? One person I was really surprised, like, because I'd, I'd never really thought about it, even though he is he is massive, was Randy Orton. And it wasn't until he had that SummerSlam match with Brock Lesnar. And I was like, fucking hell, Randy Orton is way taller than Brock Lesnar. Huge. <laughs> like, he's a massive. Um, question, though, uh, because we won't get to talk about this particular thing throughout the rest of the show. No, Billy Does Gunn it... isn't Gargamel. Uh, oh, never mind. Uh, no, uh... <laughs> Does anybody in AEW have a better theme than Orange Cassidy and the Best Friends? Britt Baker. Fuck that, no. Oh, it's so good. I'm no. Archer. The doctor will see you now. No, get out of my face with that. Not, dude. It's like MJF and the Best Friends have the best themes in AEW, I think. Hands down. I like Darby Allen's theme song, but I do agree, like, and I have not been able to get the best theme song in my head, and now that you've sang it, it will remain there for the foreseeable future. All day I've been humming it, dude. Like, best friends. Bomp, bomp, bomp. It's fucking fantastic. It's amazing. And the Tron, get out of my face with it. It's amazing. I mean, you don't like Cody Rhodes saying that really awkward line. There's more than one royal family in wrestling than having a completely unconnected um, song start. Okay, question for you guys now, now that you just brought that up. What's worse? Who can stop the path of Cage or wrestling has more than one royal family? Wrestling has more than one royal family. Because yeah. like, I know, cause you, you know he's referring to the McMahons, but like, and like comparing to other fans, like, we already knew there was more than one family. There's the Hart family, the Von Eric family. Like, yeah. your, your statement is redundant. Yeah, you know, the, the, the um we, it's Scott's just rightly said he's referring to the McMahons. I cannot think of a min of a moment where any McMahon has called themselves of the royal family. Mm-hmm. Like well, unless mean, someone was, was they are this... widely regarded as like 
the royal family of professional wrestling because you know it started with uh, Vince McMahon Senior and we we all know how that how that yeah, whole but, thing broke down. Yeah, but that's because they own the wrestling company. Like, is he saying the Khans are going to become a royal family of wrestling? What's he saying? Okay. What's his point? Yeah, Scott <laughs> Khan is going to be the Sultan of professional wrestling. <laughs> I mean, I think if you're talking about the royal family, I think you always think the hearts are closer to the actual royal family because, like, there's more possible inbreeding there. Like, there's so many brothers and sisters, and then in laws and cousins, and but like, yeah. Anyway, in comparison to the actual royal family, the hearts are your closest bet. But I think the roads, if the roads want to become a royal family of wrestling, I think they probably need a couple more generations before Cody can make such a bold claim. Mm-hmm. I think I we've know. been. Brandy, yeah. Brandy is kind of the queen. I don't know, man. We've been spending so long on just the first match, so I think we should move on. Well, the first match went 28 minutes and 30 seconds, so I, I, I have to believe that we need to spend at least that much time talking about it. And I was surprised by that length. I actually, you could have told me this went like 40 minutes, and I would have believed you because oh, yeah, it felt yeah. much longer, but not in a bad way. Yeah. so much to packed into it. It was good. I liked it. I would mm. give it, I don't know, this can of Budweiser I'm currently drinking. It's pretty good. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think it was, I thought it was going to be really a hard task to like follow a ladder match like that, but I think MJF and Jungle Boy was a nice surprise for a match that was seemingly thrown together because like, they managed to tell the story of like, Jungle Boy not being able to do like some of the most basic offense because his arm was injured and the biggest surprise of all was uh, on several occasions JR actually called him Jungle Boy and not Jungle Boy Jack or whatever it is he's been calling him. He uh, called him Jungle Jack and Jack like majority of the match, but a couple of the times he did remember to just call him Jungle Boy. Yeah, that's a yeah. weird that's a weird thing, but I feel like it's been going on for so long now that we should probably just forget about it. JR was fucking dreadful on this show. He Ooh, absolutely what a hot take. What a hot no, take. It's, it's not a very hot take. I, I, I thoroughly believe that he... Uh, I, I have to give credit to Kenny McIntosh for this, but uh, I have to agree with him 100%. They should get to a place where Jim Ross really only calls the, th- the top three matches on the card. Because by the end of the show, this guy's in his late 60s, early 70s, and he is just... A, he's tired. B, it's like... You could almost wipe the greasy sheen of his expression off the fucking screen when you're watching it when something it's just something he doesn't get or he doesn't like. Granted, he, it did take him a little while to fall in love with Orange Cassidy, and that was adorable of how he learned him and Tony learned to love Orange Cassidy. And you should love Orange Cassidy because he's great. But like sometimes where he's just like nah, nah, this new generation, you know, where, you know what I'm saying? It's like, shut the fuck up. Like I, I respect you, and I, and I, and all that other shit. But like, if you don't have something constructive to say, keep your dumb, fucking like t- uh, Oklahoma mouth shut. Just shut up. Like, why are you gonna bury intentionally bury parts of the product when they're paying you a lot of money to get your old ass out of the house and call wrestling? I get that he's the legend, and I have all the respect in the world for him. But it's disrespectful to the people in the ring. 
to, to to listen to this guy. One week on Dynamite, uh, Tony said something about how it's crazy. Uh, you know, uh, 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 Orange Cassidy's shirt is number one on the store. And fucking Jim Ross just goes, really? That guy? Word for word, that's what he said. Really? That guy? Keep your hey. fucking mouth shut, dude. Like, keep sharing Sonny's OnlyFans or something. Be a delightfully disgusting old pervy man, because that's fun and enjoyable. Don't be this guy who's cut undercutting the product. I I would agree with you in some sense. Like, there was one line that JR had in the main event, which I want to talk about, because it does make me laugh. But I agree with, like... Because I think you said the idea if he calls, like, the top three matches, because, like, usually those matches will probably include the people that he actually does know and it's when he's calling people that he does know and he has history with or he knows stuff about them that he is at his best. But, like, because I remember when they... I know that the Sean Spears match was kind of thrown together at the last minute, but, like, JR, as they run through the card, he used the phrase, why the hell not, as, a, as to describe, like, this match being made official. And, like, fucking sell us on the match, man. I don't care if it's been thrown together. Just make us believe that this is a match we should care about. And if and, any match on the card needed to get fucking, like, talked up a little bit, it was that shit show of a three-minute and 20-second match between Dustin and, and Sean Spears. I liked it. Of fucking course you did. He had another man's face on his dick. And I, I remember watching it thinking, Nathan's gonna enjoy this. Nah, it was... It was fine. <laughs> I don't think we should take away from, like, how good this match was, because they did make a point of saying that Jungle Boy was only 22 and MJF was 24. So, like, the idea of, like, this being the two, like, guys who are probably the future of the company going at it. And, like, MJF did cheat, but then it proved that he doesn't have to because he beat him with an actual, like, wrestling move and it was actually a smart finish. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, you two a question because I don't know much about MJF. Like, I watched the Cody match. Uh, other than that, I'm not sure if I've seen much of the guy, but, like, What's his shtick? Because everyone like was told on social media about how he's such an asshole and everything, and he's the worst. But then he won because he was the better wrestler. So at the end of it, I was like, "Oh, cool! That guy could actually fight." Like, why does everyone hate him so much? Like, Did- other than his so- other than his social media antics and like some of the heel stuff he's done, he's just just a good wrestler. Here's okay. I can explain MJF in eight words. He's better than you. And you know it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's why. That's because I can't wrestle. Like he's not better than me at podcasting. <laughs> you don't know that. You don't know that he doesn't do a podcast because he's better than you, and you know it. Yeah, I can't say okay. But no, Sorry. honestly, Sorry, MJF, don't care. No, honestly, before this, I hadn't watched him in MLW, but uh, I've heard that he's very that he can be very very good. Um, he strikes me as sort of like a Randy Orton type where if he's motivated he won't just talk shit he'll actually show up and do a really serviceable match because even after that match with cody a lot of people were like oh that was cody that was cody that was cody like really helping him and carrying him but like this this was equally on mjf and jungle boy here and the both of them this hands down regardless of how much i loved stadium stampede and i fucking loved stadium stampede this was match of the night for me hands down yeah, I did watch like some of these MLW stuff because I've recently gotten into MLW, and like I think the best way to describe him because he was a part of a group there called the Dynasty, and basically the gimmick was spoiled trust fund kids basically who grew up to be wrestlers and like they came out to a remix version of Diamonds Are Forever, 
So like basically spoiled brats who cheat all the time, but they could probably wrestle. And basically, MJF is like a solo version of that here. Like I said, like he's a guy he could he cheats all the time, but he proved here that he clearly doesn't have to. And that's like even more annoying because you can then rub the face that like I am actually a good wrestler. It's another thing for him to rub in your face in the fact that he is better than you. And okay. you know it. <laughs> yeah, this this is a really good like it almost like, felt like a fight at some points and I, I really got into it, especially when Jungle Boy was doing the cross face and then he had to stop because his uh, like arm was hurting too much because that's what MGF had been working over. Uh, that was really cool and the finish was really clever because I don't think Jungle Boy lost anything from the finish. He just got caught in a roll up. Um, Jungle Boy, Jungle Boy is like another one of those Darby Allen situations where um, he's not exactly bu- as bulletproof as Darby Allen seems to be in AEW, but he can sort of like he delivers in these one-on-one matches like he lost to Jericho and he went the 10 minutes, but he didn't need to win that match. And by the end of this match, as much as people uh, talk about MJF and they should because he put on a killer performance jungle boy like really really showed that like he is at 22 one of the best wrestlers in the country if not the world right now yeah i mean he did he did some cool stuff in this match and like the selling of his arm was obviously super good uh and i think mjf obviously he's probably going to go on to bigger things and maybe get a title match like you could think, easily set up for the rematch with Cody for uh, the TNT title now. Like I, I think one the graphic he's on a win streak, isn't he? He yeah, he's won all of his matches of twenty twenty, I believe. Nice, and, um, uh, good guy. I like him. He's my new favorite. Yeah, he hasn't actually lost a match like officially. Like, has been pinned to us. Like he has lost like a four way match back at the first Fighter Fest. But he wasn't pinned in that match, and they keep making a point that he technically hasn't been pinned or submitted. And he's AEW run. Is it is it too much of a hot take or like weird thing that I thoroughly believe MJF will be AEW world champion by this time next year, if not sooner? I think he'll beat Moxley. There's your hot hot prediction, everyone. Yeah, because yeah, I thought like before they made the reveal of Brian Keys that they were they should have made like Jungle Boy v MJF on the buy-in and make it for like the final spot. Because MJF is somebody who could like really benefit from winning that match and then maybe going on to win the title because like the idea of him wrestling one match early on in the night and then still winning like would be a perfect way for him to again rub it in people's faces. But it'd be like I don't think he even needs like that match to win it. So he definitely will be the champion eventually. Final Thank one thing I will say, just going back to the music because MJF has that silly thing at the start of his music where he goes, "I'm better than you," and you know it. Like, um, you know, WWE sacked that CFO dollar sign, whatever those people are called. I think AEW should hire them. Cause I think the music largely is awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, they yeah. need to hire some actual music people because it just sounds like something you would make on a game for, like, your theme. And maybe he's meant to be super annoying, but The Miz is meant to be super annoying, but he's still got good music. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I think every everyone. It just sounds like a, everyone's music, other than Cody's, which is obviously an actual song, 
and the elites which is an actual song everyone else it sounds like it's like a random mix you find on youtube that someone's just put together i don't know mm. i think i think mjf is like one of those guys who has like a really great theme that gets stuck in your head um and it's super easy to recall it and Darby Allen has an actual like band song as his, and so does John Moxley. But like other than that, like I'll, like you, I have to agree with you one hundred percent. Eighty five percent of the music in AEW is pretty terrible. Like it's just nothing stands out. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, whoever just fa- bought the rights to a music library, and they just pick like random beats. Uh, I, I don't know. It's a very minor thing. It didn't really matter too much. I just thought because we we're talking about music. But well, well done, MJF. You did good, kid. <laughs> Make sure to let us know at Rogue underscore Opinion who you think has the best theme song in AEW. And then when we disagree with you and you start getting upset, remember to to message Ben underscore EBERT to tell them how much we pissed you off by telling you how wrong you were. Unless it's MJF or the best friends. It's Britt Baker. Oh. Fuck. You know what? I'm just going to send a DM to Ben. So, guys. Should we talk about Mike Tyson? Oh, uh, oh I have so many thoughts on Mike Tyson. God, what year is it? When, when did, when did like, oh, they, they're trying to pop a rating with Mike this Wednesday. I don't know. Did I mention this to you guys <laughs> on air or off air that the Mike Tyson thing just sort of seems that, like, they had him booked like months ago for Mm -hmm. Las Vegas because it was going to be the MGM Grand where he had a lot of fights when he was uh, still fighting. Um, But then uh, obviously the world started to dissolve in front of our eyes. So they needed to uh, honor that contract. So he that's why he was in Jacksonville or like was this something that was added? Like, I don't know. It seems like it's more of like a thing where they already had him booked. It's obviously yeah. a Las Vegas thing, like a hundred percent. They already had him booked, and then they were like, "Oh, are you are you still going to come?" And he was like, "Yes, you've paid me. I've got all those pigeons to feed, and a marijuana so, field to to take care of." Do you think he ever gives the marijuana to pigeons? Oh, because he does own a fuck ton of pigeons. I'm not just making that up. Dude, that do is, you think that's a true fact? It was it was a TV series too. Um, yeah. Tyson's birds, or I think it was called, or something. Um, here, no, I swear to God, I swear to God, um, no, but I like, do you think that like he's mastered the art of like secretive drug dealing? Because like he, he just puts like whatever somebody ordered on the foot of a pigeon and then he's just like, and then they fly off to the guy and it like deliver like the, like the weed to him. I don't know. I would, I would be smoking a hell of a lot more weed if, um, Mike Tyson's pigeons were delivering them. If you by a pigeon, a hundred percent, and I one hundred percent agree with you on this theory. Because Jimmy, you are not the first person to say that theory to me. <laughs> because <laughs> a few years ago, a friend of mine had the exact same theory about Mike Tyson's pigeons, mostly because, as Jim Ross rightfully claimed, um, notice I didn't slag him off because he's the best commentator in the world. That I Mike Tyson is the best con- commentator in the world, actually. Over $500 million for his fights he earned, yet the guy always went bankrupt. But how is he still rich? Because he's delivering pills via pigeons. That's the only reason he owns pigeons. Also, he looked very bored at this show. He was yeah. yawning on camera. 
and they cut away at the speed of light. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> he also, literally yawned halfway through the match. <laughs> also, I feel like there'll be so many memes made about the face they pulled when Lance Archer came out with that randomer and just threw the guy over the ropes and just the face that Mike Tyson makes. Yeah, who and was that guy? Like, he's he's someone up. I think Lee Johnson, they say his name is, he's been used in like squat, uh, to put people over on dark in like squash matches. No. So he must have just been backstage. Is, is that part of his actual entrance? Does he do that all the time on like Dynamite? Because I, I haven't really been watching the weekly television, but if this is like, instead of having Pyro, he just comes out randomly dragging a jobber with him and then fucking murderizes him and like that's his entrance because he choke slammed him to the drop in his music. <laughs> it seemed like this was like his thing. <laughs> I hope it becomes his thing because it usually just comes out, shoves the camera guy, like you know, maybe punch somebody like one of the ringside crew members because I remember in Japan he used to like be up young boys, he used to throw water over the crowd. <laughs> so like it's it's not out of the realms of possibility that this could be his new entrance. Because that's fucking ex- like that's the most amazing fucking entrance I've ever fucking seen. You just come out dragging a jobber. You fucking give them your finisher, like on the beat of your song. Like that's like, I, I'll never take pyro again for anybody. <laughs> if like if like we can start utilizing red shirts yeah. to fucking make our entrances better. You you can't have pyro again because all of it went to Cody. Every firework. That guy had so many fucking fireworks. It was like Edge was back. Well, he is back. It was like Edge was back in like 2007. He just eats all the fucking fireworks. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was stunned. I was like, oh, they got Pyro. Oh, they've got Pyro. Jesus, the Pyro is still going. Oh, it's Cody. <laughs> I mean, can I just say, I felt bad for Jake the Snake in this match because Jake gets like, yes, I know he's getting in the ring when like, Cody did like the DDT, but he didn't actually physically get involved. He was there. He was up on the apron because he was rightfully pointing it to the rest that Cody was choking Lance with his own like extensions while he had him in the cross face. And then while the ref's yelling at Jake for no reason, Arn Arneson pushes Lance Archer off the top and it's made like a big deal. Like, why is the referee throwing out Arn Anderson? Like, and then Mike Tyson grasses in Arn Anderson and like, Mike, you spent time in prison. Don't you know what happens to snitches? <laughs> Jesus. Oh my god. But uh Yeah. This match was pretty boring. This match suffered from being after an amazing mid card match. Like they this match suffered not only from placement, but let me okay, let me let me pose this question to you guys. How many times did Lance Ar- Archer have to go to the camera and just be like, this title isn't Cody's. This title was always mine. Blah, 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 blah. Like, fuck off and beat the guy then. Like, I what are you it, telling me for? Yeah, I think he did that because uh, he wasn't winning. And I think uh, even as someone who's not watching AEW like, weekly at all, after like five minutes, I was like, well, Cody's winning because they were setting up so much. He was going to get beaten the shit out of that he was going to somehow win. And yeah, it's just exactly what happened. And I think it was, I think it's actually, was just, it wasn't bad. It was just too predictable. I think it should have definitely went on later in the card because like it was far too early. Like 
so I'm glad that the world pretty much didn't main event. But I think like even though you get why the same type he's main evented, but the big the net, how big of a deal they've made this TNT title, you could forgive them for putting that in the main event because like it's a new title. And but like as soon as they had Lance hit his finisher right off the bat and then basically dominate Cody at every turn, you feel like well they're setting us up to give Lance as much as possible because he's not winning. And I did like that he my, he got to hit Cody with the spine buster after Cody used the DDT. It's kind of a fuck you to each guy's manager. But and also can we talk about Big Swole getting up in Lance's face? <laughs> Big Swole, okay. Big Swole. That side of the ring was on fucking fire this whole show every so often you would hear one of them say something or they would get in somebody's face like i know we're going to talk about it shortly but i'll just bring it up now during sheeta and nyla rose the second the table got put up in the corner you just hear pineapple pete go why you got to be breaking a fucking table for what the <laughs> table ever do to you like and he as nyla's pulling it out uh, it was either Pineapple Pete or Shug D, whatever you want to call him, or like one of the guys on that side of the ring who Tony Schiavone correctly pointed out that they were drunk on White Claws all day. Fantastic point that they that they definitely needed to make. Um, but like the fact that they were belligerent the entire time, and while Nyla's pulling the table out, sh- somebody just goes, "Oh, now you got to bring out a whole ass table." Why you got to bring out a whole ass table? And it's just like, it's a wrestling match, Pineapple Pete, but you're delightful, so keep talking. I need to keep hearing it. Why is he called Pineapple Pete? Does he dress as a pineapple? Jericho called him in on commentary one time because he was wearing a pineapple t-shirt. Smart. I like that. Good observation, Chris. Apparently Jericho was on fire on commentary for those couple weeks that he was on commentary. I'm really sad to see when he called his match with Jericho. It basically went like two or three minutes. And before he got knocked out, which is this effect. Because Shug D is, is really good. You guys should seek this out on YouTube. I think it got put up on YouTube a few months ago. Shug D wrestled for a promotion in Edinburgh called Discovery and a zombie survival match. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was a promotion like four-year anniversary, so it's called like 48 months later. And basically it was Lumberjacks where zombies, basically the winner had to throw their uh, opponent out into the field of zombies until they got eaten, and that's how you won the match. <laughs> that's phenomenal. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> and there's the whole thing with him and his opponent, his opponent Gene Money, were basically trying to convince the zombies why they should kill their opponent. Like, uh, like he's white meat, but he's dark meat, and like his name is Sugar. That means he's sweet. Eat him. <laughs> that's lovely. That's amazing. So, uh, question. In AEW, obviously, we've watched a couple of pay-per-views before and we've done them, but they still doing the things where the refs don't really stick to the rules? Because there was All definitely the quite a few count-outs in this match. All the time. Yeah. And the commentators always defend it. They go, well, the referee wants a winner in this match. Like, it's not up to the referee. Can you imagine that in, like, football? They just, like, disallow a goal or something because they're like, wow, they don't want a winner. Like, referee's okay. discretion. <laughs> this ref doesn't want a winner, so we're just going to disallow it. Yeah, that, that, stuff like that, it really annoyed me. It was more so in the world title match, so I'll talk about it there. But like, it really annoyed me there. Uh, so yeah, like, Cody did win at, like, the crossroads, picked him up at the second crossroads, gets the win uh, to hold up, have that moment with the title that's not complete yet. Uh, have you guys seen the photo of what the title's meant to look like? Yes. Yeah, it looks good. 
It looks really, really good. Uh, I did like, when I first saw it. I did message quite a few people. I was like, "Oh, this belt looks terrible." And then when I found out it wasn't finished, I was like, "Oh, okay, that's fair enough." Like, it looks really good if it's when it's complete. Yeah, according to something I read by the the guy who made the belt, uh, he originally was supposed to have it done by this weekend anyway, um, and he said that he could. But then all of a sudden, the pandemic happened, and uh, nickel and gold plating were used for making uh, respirators and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So uh, he like it became in such small supply that he wasn't able to finish it. So they get a double dip on uh, like bringing the title out and getting a pop for it, which I mean, honestly, that, that's a win win. You get to award the title. You get everyone to see the title and then it becomes better down the line. Like, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, have yeah. they told a, a good story in the sense that obviously Cody not allowed to challenge for the world title. So does anyone have a problem with him then just winning a tournament for the next title? Like at all, I'm not saying I do. I'm just saying, is there something there or have they told a good enough story? Cause I knew in the promo package, it was like, I need this. But it's like, I think, well, yeah, like you should, you're a fucking wrestler, mate. But like, well, I think with Cody is like the way they built a lot Archer up, we, he beat Dustin in the semis. And then he, he took out QT Marshall, and then they had to sign with them putting Snake on Brandy. So it felt like, obviously, Cody like had to win the way they built Archer and had him go through the people that he cared about. And like, yeah, like the idea of Cody needing to be a champion because like he thinks of himself as one of the best, and to, like to prove that he needs to be a champion. And so I think I, I think someone like Cody, I can see why they want him as the first champion because he can have great matches with like some of the younger guys and help build them up and. I don't know if they confirmed what the rules of this title are because there were rumours that it was going to be like their TV title, so I don't know if that means they'll be defended every week, but what they have said is that there'll be a whole different like set of rankings for this title. It won't like play into the rankings for the world title, and apparently, I like that they've got a red strap for it because like, it stands out from our era title, and apparently, according to Cody and the uh, the media scrum afterwards, the, uh, the random picture of a house on one of the side plates is a uh, Ted Turner's house. Oh, okay. So they're going to have two ranking tables now. How does that work? Surely if you just win a match, you win a match. Or are they going to turn this into its own division? I think it's its own, like, thing. I think, like, if you've, like, got a certain amount of wins, but, like, not enough to crack the top five for the world title, you move into contention for the TNT title. Because, like they said, well, it is, like, it's not the main title, but they said they don't want it to be considered, like, less than it. They want it to be its own thing. Seems like these rankings are going to get complicated then. So it's like, oh, you're sick from the rankings, so you get to face Cody Rhodes on pay per view. It's like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool, man. Sixth place is the new bronze medal. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Like, um, it's annoying that neither of you two like football. So if you guys could just fake laugh when I say, oh, so it's like the Europa League. Just do a fake laugh. <laughs> yeah, cheers, cheers, guys. That's- Oh, such a good quip. It's so funny. I, I've lost the ability to even project laughter. <laughs> uh, cool. So, question, question for you guys um, during this match for the TNT Championship. Did it bother either of you guys that Brandy didn't come out after everything Jake had said about her, uh, about women in general, like all the stuff... 
because it, it sort of like it didn't ruin the match for me or anything, but it did stick out in my mind that like Jake Roberts has been saying some pretty horrible things, not only and then he of course laid his snake over her and um uh, that was weirdly phrased. He laid a snake on top of Brandy Rhodes at one point and said that she belonged in the kitchen and making babies. And, you know, whether or not I agree with him or disagree with him, I agree with him 100 percent. That's where women belong. Um, (laughs) But I but but then Brandy cut a promo as well. I'm I'm to understand that it was like, this is in 1991 and uh, I'm going to clap back if you say something. And then she just never clapped back at him. Like she, she never, like she didn't come out during this match. There wasn't an Arn Anderson spine buster. It sort of seems like another like fault of this match was more. They gave you a lot of like options for what could have happened. And then they didn't really do any of them. It, it didn't, I didn't miss it. It didn't feel like there was something missing for me because, I'm pretty sure there. I don't know if it was a buy-in or something else because they do a lot of like YouTube stuff that they expect you to watch. You know, I don't think anybody has time to. I'm pretty sure on, on something like that, Brandy explained she wouldn't be coming out because like she didn't want to ball her face in jail. She didn't want to even acknowledge him after everything he said or something like that. But like what this missed out on was any involvement from Tyson because he sat there in the corner yawning and then he took his shirt off and and then didn't like punch anybody and like. Before, at the end of the match, when Cody was hitting his crosses, I noticed in the corner of the screen, you can see him go and put his shirt back on, and then Randall decided to leave it off, because he had it off when he gave Cody the title. <laughs> yeah, it. I can't say it really bothered me, because I don't really know the story, to be honest. But, yeah, this you you are right when you're saying there was a lot of options in this match. They didn't do a lot of them, because it just did feel like a lot of the matches had all the bells and whistles, but this match didn't for some whatever reason. Like maybe they just wanted to give Cody a big win for the title. So they wanted whoever won it to win it pretty decisively. But they still did have a little bit of like involvement from Jake and Arn. But I mean, neither are in incredible looking shape. Like so it, they couldn't really do much. So maybe they would have been better having brandy who could maybe do a bit more but then we've also seen brandy take a lot of like bumps or take a lot of random hits so maybe they just didn't want to retread over that like stuff they've already done but i do think honestly i do think it's a bit of a shame that the big monster lance lance archer went down pretty easily and pretty decisively yeah, I mean, I think that uh, in story, I guess it will just be sort of chalked up to Lance Archer just sort of jawjacking too much. Because, like, that came across to me as, like, you've been talking about it for months or weeks or whatever, and we've heard everything you've had to say about Cody, and you uh, bitched and moaned about him being Caesar, and yada, yada, yada. And then you spend, I'm going to comfortably say, a third of the match jawjacking at the camera. Like, yeah, you're not wrong on that. He did spend a lot of time uh, just talking to the camera, a l- like a lot. And I don't really get the what's his thing called the big claw, the E E B D claw. Everybody like, dies. Yeah, E V D. Eh, e V D. Yeah. When he did it, and he was just doing the slamming thing, I was like, oh man, can you imagine if Carly did this back in the day? <laughs> like it didn't look so bad but i think this actually links in 
to the Dustin and Sean Spears match in a little bit, so I'll save my two cents for that match in a moment. But I think Lance Lance had a bad night, in in my humble opinion. Yeah, I, I don't really think the MSW chain not having him win the tail, but then you can see why Cody had to. And I think the way they told it the last couple of weeks, like I said, with the way uh, they take out Brandy and then Dustin, they, felt, they made it seem like it was basically a must-win thing for Cody because if they had him lose the the title match to Jericho, then lose to MJF, and then lose this, like you wonder, like why is Cody constantly being put in these positions on pay-per-view if he can't win? When when we everybody knows he's the EVP. Yeah, you're not wrong on that. That's a good point. Yeah, I just think that all like all of the people involved in this. Oh, you know who the MVP of this of this fucking match was? The referee. Be, because he, but when they were about to do the introductions, and I think it was Bryce Remsburg was the the referee for this match. I'm not exactly sure, but while Lance and Cody were jawjacking one another before he had the mic under his arm to start talking about the rules, you just hear him as he's staring at Lance, going, "You're jacked. We get it. You're angry. Whatever. Just back up." And that's the funniest fucking thing. I've, you're jacked. You're jacked. We get it. Like, Bryce Remsburg, I've said not great things about him before as far as, like, pulling eyeballs to him when he overreacts to something during a match. Um, but uh, you've redeemed yourself, sir. All else is forgiven. Based just on one funny thing. And when he was describing the rules and he was, like, elbow nudging Lance Archer, it's like, as we discussed backstage, yes, you, mister. Like, he was more of a librarian than the librarians. <laughs> <laughs> Who, and it was in this match, I believe, when Lance flipped the table. Yeah, yeah, he flipped that table. Leva Bates grabbed that MacBook Pro so quick. She needs to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars <laughs> and how to get more interceptions based on how oh no it actually may have been during um the, the world title match but still leave a base yeah someone leave knocked, leave one of the giant men knocked her table over but she was like no this macbook <laughs> i can't go to the store to get this fixed right now the geniuses know that we're supposed to be quarantined and they can't fix my laptop if your big beard ass destroys it. Uh, if she if she stood up and went, look, it's Sunday tomorrow, and then it's Memorial Day. The shop's not going to be open. Fuck off. <laughs> like, that would be and was, was Peter Avalon wearing a smoking jacket in the crowd? Oh, was that the tiny cool. guy? He looked, like, he looked like young Hugh Hefner. <laughs> Except without his pipe. Oh, you well, smoke Florida, you can't smoke indoors. Ugh, fuck. I know, it's the least Florida thing about Florida. Man, <laughs> screw it. I guess this match gets, I don't know, Hitler's alligator. Oh, that's better harsh. <laughs> yeah, make a nice purse. <laughs> uh, this, this match definitely just gets any random Florida man headline. You know, it's like, eh, not surprised, but it happened and it was... Mildly entertaining. Uh, I think I'd give it maybe 
a thumbs up, but a thumbs up from Orange Cassidy, like so it's not a full thumbs up. Oh, one hundred percent. So we went quite long so far. We had a lot to say. I don't think we'll have a lot to say for this next these next few matches. Uh, next up, we had Penelope Ford filling in for uh, Britt Baker, who got injured on this past week's Dynamite. She was meant to be facing Chris Statlander. Uh, they did do a fun like uh, pre-tape with the doctor, obviously explaining like the seriousness of the injury, but also kind of keeping keep it by just based on how annoying Britt Baker is and how Britt is a role model and she'll have anything about her condition on Dynamite. The only thing I really had to say about this match is Penelope Ford, I've not actually seen much of her wrestling-wise, so I was surprised by some of the moves she pulled out. And uh, the comical like bandages and that that Kip Sabian had while yelling at Chris Allender, I know how to deal with you. I've seen all the Alien movies. was really all that I had to say about this match. It had a pretty predictable outcome. Kip Sabian was like one of my favorite things about this show from his promo before the casino ladder match to him coming out all hobbled from the ladder match was like the payoff of that joke where he starts it by saying ladder matches are in my blood to him coming out like half dead and hobbling around. I, he just class, absolute class. Yes. The extent of uh, Nathan's analysis though. The only other thing I even have to talk about this match, like, good for Chris Statlander. Uh, I like Chris Statlander a lot. And Penelope Ford really showed that she does have a little bit. But the doctor, that the ringside doctor, the way that he was talking, literally just sounded like anything you'd hear on Grey's Anatomy or something. Where he was like, she has a atrial fibrillation, ta- <laughs> t- tabilia pressure. Like, why are you getting so, like air quotes in depth on this thing like it's just say she twisted her fucking ankle and that you didn't clear her what? like what do you have to <laughs> why'd they get the doctor to do it because they were like oh here's the doctor and then he was like talking about her injury and then he was like but then but she'll be live on TNT Wednesday night to talk about it you know hey, doctor patient confidentiality what are you her fucking agent as well they did that. <laughs> That's they did so weird. <laughs> they did it a couple of times during this show where they almost sort of, it almost came off like they were trying to remind you that they have a weekly television show. Because even on commentary, when they would cut to stuff, they would go, and uh, I, I really have been enjoying uh, a, uh, Dynamite on Wednesdays and then yeah. fade into Wednesdays on TNT. There were three you know? adverts during this show for Dynamite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were the same advert. Like they didn't just do different ones. And I get, I get that if WWE wanted to do that, they've got three main shows that they could advertise. But it was the same advert. It was just a bit like, yeah, I'm, guys, I'm not going to watch. Like, give up. <laughs> I don't get TNT. I don't live there. <laughs> like, <laughs> where's stuff. my fight? Where's my fight ad? Yeah, they did do that. They were like, oh, you can watch it on the app. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that either. Like, um, I was a bit annoyed that Statlander didn't get to do a boop. She did it to the camera when she walked out. Yeah, but not mm-hmm. to Penelope Ford. Because she got <laughs> kicked in the stomach. Which is <laughs> annoying. Uh, I like JR being, just talking about <laughs> Kip Sabian for like two minutes. And I was like, Penelope Ford's in this match, JR. <laughs> Stop talking about the guy. <laughs> again, again. Just have JR do the main events, like the top three matches on the card. 
why would you allow him to waste his breath on talking about the male competitor who already competed earlier in the evening instead of talking about the two women in the ring? Two women who are trying their best to improve the worst part of the, the company, the women's division. Arguably, the women's division is like yeah. the worst part. And very, very quickly before we move on, um, to all those people who say, oh, the women's division should be more focal and the women need more time, give the women something entertaining to do and then give me more time with them. Because this match was fine and Hikaru Shida versus Nyla Rose was fine, but like, give them something more entertaining than bitches be crazy, or I stole your kendo stick, lady, or, hey, my boyfriend is hotter than your boyfriend, or I'm an alien, and or just go full tilt on the alien thing with Chris Statlander. Yeah. I don't know. Don't give them more time when they don't fucking deserve it. I understand that with everything should be equal and whatnot and i'm not trying to sound like an asshole but like if everyone is equal then they should be adhered to equally look at what happened darby allen caught on and he has more of a presence on the show orange cassidy caught on and he has more of a presence on the show the women have less time because their matches are kind of dog shit half the time and they need to get these women in a ring together to work some of their shit out. Look at what happened with Private Party. If you don't watch Dark, those motherfuckers disappeared because after that match with the Young Bucks and maybe one other match in the tag tournament, their matches kind of fell off a cliff a little bit, so they got relegated to the back burner. It's called business. It's called working in a wrestling promotion. I work for a wrestling promotion. If somebody's match goes over time too many times or somebody doesn't perform a couple of times the way that you think that they're going to perform, guess what? They're either on the pre-show live on Facebook Live or they don't get booked or they're on an empty arena show uh, during one of the YouTube shows. It's not hard to work. It's very common sense sort of thing. If they aren't performing, then you need to put them on the back burner until they start making some waves. That's my piece. Yeah, yeah. I think you're kind of right. But first off, idea. I can save Chris Statlander. It's pretty easy to do, it and it's not going to cost too much. Well, it's going to cost a lot of money, but Tony Khan's got the money. First off, Jimmy's right. We've got to go all in on the alien thing. So here's what I do. She's not too busy in between making Avatar movies coming up in the next few years. You hire Sigourney Weaver. You make her Chris Statlander's manager. You have... Chris Statlander come out like on some kind of like leash or maybe inside a big pod thing and we go all fucking in like I'm to go all in like the fiend all in on the alien gimmick and we Ooh. turn Chris Statlander literally into a queen alien I I have something to build on that you remember how Cody always comes out with the fucking thing rising and he rises up out of the thing she doesn't rise up out of the thing but you make the little like pillar of light in the middle look like she's getting lowered by uh, 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 a fucking spaceship that's on the Tron above her and yeah. then it looks like she's getting beamed down from her spaceship from the Andromeda galaxy make her an alien it's not that literally difficult. because it's like oh she's an alien it's in the same way that Ember Moon used to be a werewolf <laughs> they're kind of a werewolf like their entrance 
or an alien for like their entrance. And then when the match starts, they're just a person who acts a slightly bit weird. Like, eh, is Chris Satlander an alien or has she just had too much Zambuka? Like, I can't tell sometimes. She does cartwheels. Like, what's the difference there? Hire Sigourney Weaver. Make her literally an alien. I don't know if she can then compete in the women's division because uh, I don't know how that works with aliens, but meh. And if she has to bleed during a match, have her like disappear under the ring and come up with like different colored blood. No, like yeah. you could stick to the acid thing. She'd be like, oh, she cut Chris Statlander over, but then Penelope Ford starts selling because the blood is acid. Oh, that's fucking brilliant. It's so good. Like, and Sigourney Weaver's there on the outside. Like, you could pay her enough to be more interested than Mike Tyson. That's fair. This, there you go. Look at that job she did on Defenders. And that was bad. Yeah, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was the best part of that show. And, spoiler, she got killed off way too early. <laughs> I don't know. I still think the best thing about De- Defenders was when they all beat the shit out of Danny Rand at the beginning of that one episode. <laughs> <laughs> but that's yeah, just that being up to any round. <laughs> I was gonna say. We, so next time, Soul Spears came out just in a suit. Moving <laughs> swiftly on to another match that probably even at three minutes was too long. We have Dustin Rhodes basically ripping off all of Sean Spears' clothes after they teased that Dustin wasn't going to be there, and he has pants that have Tully Blanchard's face on it, but are shot from an angle where it looks like his dick has fallen out of his pants and. We're very nearly why he landed a woman like Peyton Rice. Like, um, why was this here? Is my question. Does Dustin need his win back after getting uh, killed by, and Sean Spears is doing nothing? How was yeah. that segment with Sean Spears, the Sean Spears news segment? I heard that was really fun. Yeah, like, the best line of it is, like, he, he sees him that Dustin's retired and he says, like, I know it can be a hard pill to swallow knowing when your time is up. But Dustin, is, from my hair, about 12 years ago, swallowing pills wasn't too hard for you. <laughs> I think, I mean, if you're kind of back and forth on Sean Spears, I think that one segment can help turn you around your opinion on him. But yeah, I mean, this did nothing for him. I mean, for a second, I thought like the way they're bringing up that maybe Dustin really wasn't there, and maybe they'd bring it like QT Marshall kind of stick up for Dustin. Because he's like they've been like a tag team and they've been doing these things on the road to shows where QT's trying to prove himself and he's been going to like DDP for advice. So, but that didn't happen. Wait, yeah, aren't they like? Wasn't Sean Spears supposed to be looking for a tag partner or something? Like, did they just stop that? Yeah, they they had a, a couple of weeks of him going in with like different tag partners on like dark and things like that, and then yeah, that quickly like seemingly it's been dropped because. Maybe it's because Tully Blanchard can't be there because I haven't seen him in the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Probably because he's got no friends. <laughs> but yeah, like if they did keep that thing going to find him have a tag partner and continue this against Gold against I'm gonna call him Goldust there against Dustin and uh, QT in like a tag team feud, maybe that they could find something entertaining about it. But that wasn't here. Yeah, yeah this, I mean, this sucked. Like, yeah, it was it, just a bit boring. It just felt like Vince McMahon sort of wrote this match. Like, it, this match, if, like, Vince watched this show, this is the one where he's like, oh, goddamn, pal! Like, I don't know. I just, this this was easily the worst thing on the card, and to put it 
right after, like, they definitely should have maybe put the TNT title after Chris Statlander and Penelope Ford, but before Dustin Rhodes and Brand and uh, Sean Spears. Like, I, I think that like the 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 card sort of the show sort of fell apart for a little bit here in the middle, and uh, luckily it didn't last for long. Yeah. Yeah, I think they really should have had it like Statlander and Ford, then the women's title match, then this to break up between the two title matches because because uh, I think the like, there was a lot of brawling in the women's match because it was a no DQ match. So then they followed the exact same structure in the men's match despite it not being no DQ, but the ref just ignored it. So the fact that they had two matches that had so similar with no break in between, I think you could have just as stupid like comedy wise as this Dustin match was. If you had that break up the two title matches, it would have made a bit of a difference. Yeah, I was going to say, I get why you couldn't have this comedy match on the buy-in show because um, it's not the WWE and they're trying to sell pay-per-views and this wouldn't have been a great advert for AEW. This wouldn't have made people want to actually spend um, quite a lot of money on a show. But like, I just don't really get why this needs to be here. The show was four hours long without the buy-in show. Like, and that's kind of long for a crowdless wrestling show. Like that's normal length if it's if it's got a full crowd and it's there's all the bells and whistles that you can have with that. But like I don't know, I just didn't really get it, and that's partly because I didn't really know the story because I've not been watching. So that's maybe on me, and partly because I was just like, yeah, this is kind of boring. And like, it's nice to see Dustin Rose. Like he looks in, in he looked great considering his age and how long he's been wrestling for sean spears just kind of got completely embarrassed i don't really know where he was going to go from here um but i don't know i just felt like it didn't really need to be here i don't really get like you could have taken this out and just had a little like you could have just had a promo segment for like five minutes in between and then moved on yeah i mean this could have gone on dynamite this could have gone on dark i mean when you completely strip a man down to his boxers and then have his ass out on pay-per-view like this just i get what again i get what they were going for but it honestly just it just kind of sucked yeah where does he where does he go from like what the hell does sean spears do for me apparently he's like oh he calls himself the chairman still like that was that was such a long time ago that he busted cody open yeah he hasn't hit Has anybody he got... else with a chair since like could they out... not just had a five minute match like i reckon if they got told if Dustin Rhodes, who, again, he looks great because he's, what, 51, 52 or something like that. The guy looks in better shape than he did uh, 10, 12 years ago. Sean Spears is obviously a good wrestler. Like, could they have not just had a really great five-minute match? Yeah, I think that, like, everything up to when the match started was perfect. Like, you had Sean Spears come out, and his, admittedly, his promo was a little, like, shitty. And then the music hits, he turns around acting all scared, and the shot of him turning around to like be like, I fucked with you guys and you bought it, that was pretty great. Um, and then the music hits again, and he goes, no idiots, you're only supposed to play it once. And then Brandy walks out, and then Dustin is behind him. I think that's where this started to fall down a cliff. Like, why didn't Dustin just walk out with Brandy? Why did he have to be behind He's him? He's meant to be the good guy. <laughs> yeah, and then he strips, then he strips him butt ass naked, and then just pins him, and it's just sort of fucking over. Um, cool. That's quite. Go- that's quite Goldust's thing to do. Like, 
gold dust um would have done that sort of thing but i don't know dustin rose was kind of still doing kind of like the stripping people down thing i don't really have, i think we've talked more about this match than we needed to so i'm going to to beat the no dq match for the women's title and i get the sense that jimmy especially wasn't the biggest fan of this match but i think in terms of like the women's division uh, i think this is one of the more on the better side of like matches they've had, especially for the women's title, because that title really did not get, like, was not put on the plate that needed to be when Rio was the champion, especially, like, when we did full gear, we had to talk about that god-awful match with uh, Emi Sakura, I believe, that was seriously for that full gear. The whole teacher-student thing that they didn't build up at all. And, like, so I think now the Roses had some better matches, I think Kara Shida, like, they've been building her up last week to talk about how undefeated like, all undefeated in our last few matches in the momentum. One of the main reasons they had our win is because we actually look at the roster, other than Chris Statlander, who had a shot at Revolution, they actually don't have any other many other faces in the women's division. Because, like, they had Kylie Ray, she left. They had Burt Baker, but she definitely wasn't working as a face. So they had to turn her heel, and she's much better as a heel. And you couldn't have her win it off in there because then you can't be, like, heel versus heel. Uh, or you could, but I don't know if it'd be wise. And, like, Riho hasn't been seen, I don't think, since she lost the title. So, like, I think it was a case of we need to put the title on Shida because she's got this momentum and she's the only other face we have. Nyla Rose is a beast. I, I like to call Nyla Rose the better Nia Jax. Um, oh, just, I was saying just that promo package was fucking horrendous. No, the, the promo yeah, package was, was, like, awkward. She... She, they subtitled uh, Hakara Shida even though she was speaking English mm-hmm. quite well as well. <laughs> That's the most American thing in the world. Like, like no, Scott, it's a, it's... Scott will get this, uh, but I don't know if you will, Jimmy. But it's like when Simon Cowell put Cheryl Cole on the American X Factor, and just because <laughs> she's got a Geordie accent, they subtitled her in America <laughs> even though she was speaking perfect English. Did they fucking really? Yeah, that's that's a genuine. And then she got taken off of it a few episodes in because apparently the American audience couldn't understand her. Oh, for fuck's sake! When when <laughs> we have okay, America, if you're listening to me, uh, I'm gonna steal. I'm gonna steal something from Stephen Colbert here. Nation, sit down with me for just a quick second. Let's go in the corner, America. I love you. <laughs> I've been here my entire <laughs> life. Except for that one week, the one glorious week I spent in Canada, and that was a lot of fun. But then I came home, and then something happened. Stupid rednecks from Alabama said that they couldn't understand somebody who speaks the Queen's English. And then, God (laughs) forbid, someone's from Japan, and they're trying to do their best. And it's not like it's fucking Asuka, who is essentially incoherent half the time, but that's the character, and I love her and respect her. Sheeta is speaking pretty damn good English. And they fucking subtitled her. I understand that the show is produced in Florida, but don't make the rest of the country fall to fucking Florida standards. <laughs> I've been to you, Florida, and everything they say about you is right. Let's not keep this going. She is now the champion and is now the perfect time for all of us as a nation to come together, make America great again by taking the subtitles away from people who are speaking fucking English. 
thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I'm Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the match was pretty good. The match was... This was one of the matches that, like, this division needs, where mm. you have two high-caliber performing uh, acts um, and two people who have, like, pretty defined characters. I mean, yes, Shida's character is essentially, I carry a kendo stick, I am Japanese, also, I dressed like Tifa, you guys like Final Fantasy VII, right? Fight, fighting, um, I don't know, Native American, like, she-beast Nyla Rose, which is super cool, and it makes all the sense in the world, and this match was not nearly as bad as the Chris Statlander Nyla Rose match from Revolution, um, pre-coronavirus aside, you know, th this match was, it felt like they worked on it, it felt like they had been working on it for a little while, they hit all the beats that they should have, and the no disqualification thing certainly helped. Uh, the people at ringside, as I mentioned earlier, um, were definitely important to this match because the stuff that got caught on the mics was just a, a sheer act of brilliance. And uh, Hikaru Shida is a worthy champion, and I can't wait to see what they do with it. Good God, thank you for reminding me. Nyla Rose quoted Blade. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're always uh, Wesley Snipes. Who is mm -hmm. also Blade? Should have like been a black. Uh, I like that, and also like the a callback to when Nyla City she I found your candlestick after she hit with it. She grabs the candlestick, smacks Nyla on the face with it, and yells, "I found my candlestick." <laughs> you know what I find uh, as far as like like in like not direct storytelling because there's no way that they could have planned this. I don't think the candlestick broke on Nyla's head. Um, that led to the finish to the match. And then Sheeta, before even putting, like, really looking at the title, she was looking at the kendo stick that was now broken. And it just sort of, there was, like, this stardom-esque, like, sort of level to the in-ring storytelling that I thought was really good. And they definitely need to keep this up. Britt Baker being injured, probably not a great thing for the women's division right now. But, um, I mean, hey... Good for Sheeta, um, great for Nyla Rose, uh, and luckily this match didn't totally fucking suck. Yeah, I think the best thing for Sheeta is as she's been claiming the rankings, there haven't been as many Japanese women on the roster as there was at the start of the division, like Sakura and Ryu and all that, because like especially when they had that six-woman tag at Double or Nothing last year, it was really hard to tell like how you should really differentiate the different characters and why is this person different from this person. And now that she's kind of been away, like shine out her own, you kind of you buy into her winning this title more than if she'd done it a couple of months ago. So I'm looking forward to see how this goes with her as champion. And speaking of champions, I, meant, I briefly mentioned before, I'm actually basically followed the exact same structure as this, even though it was not a no DQ match. Was uh, Mr. Brody Lee, who definitely didn't steal, intentionally steal characteristics from Vince McMahon, as he said in an interview, even though he clearly had that thing with not liking sneezing. Uh, against John Moxley for the AEW title. And I never usually would advocate for this, but I think this should have been a no contest. Like, they should have done the, the stage spot and then have the referees call off the match so that Brody Lee so early in his career doesn't have to lose in a world title match so quickly and you could have kept this going. Like, maybe sometime after the uh, Brian Cage match, you can have another, another match between him and Brody this time with a like, no-DQ stipulation. But uh, I know that like, he kicked out of the power and shift at one and then took another one then had to get choked out. But like, 
even when he got choked out, he didn't look like he was passed out. His eyes were clearly open, and his arm just went down once, and the ref called for the yeah. bell. Yeah, this is weird. As also you said, it wasn't a no DQ match, but I don't know the t- the time exactly. But it felt like they spent more time out of the ring than they did in the ring. Now they had the big stage spot and everything like that, and they just said getting choked out. Like I was messaging you guys, and I was like. That seems weird from the way they set up the match initially. They're like, oh, here comes Brody Lee. He's here for the title. He's stolen the title. And then he just kind of lost. And I was like, oh, it's just he he's not. It, it's just Luke Harper. <laughs> like, that's literally what would happen with Luke Harper every now and then. They'd be like, oh, if he beats Randy Orton, he gets to go to it. No, he lost. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'm okay. glad. I'm glad that both of you guys brought up the stage spot because I don't know if this is just like like my weird sort of like like eye for wrestling at this point but like he takes that paradigm shift through the fucking stage which obviously was you know set up in a way that obviously it was going going to happen regardless but then Brody Lee lands on the top of his head they showed 3,000 fucking replays of that spot A. It didn't look very good to begin with B. He lands clearly on the top of his head and then is bleeding just above the eyebrow like bro if you're gonna gig like at least like i I don't fucking know dude like it was just like yo brody lee definitely didn't gig there that's definitely real this definitely happened it's like no it fucking didn't and i absolutely agree with you nathan that like this definitely and scott like i agree with you as well this definitely should have been a no contest let it go to a second match. Let it go another month. Let them fucking keep fighting each other. So that way there's like reason for this whole last four weeks to have happened. And instead, Brody Lee just sort of won, uh, lost rather. And that was sort of it. And now what does Brody Lee do here? You know, like, I don't know. I don't, the whole exalted one thing just sort of it it doesn't hit more than it does hit for me. And that's upsetting because I like Brody Lee a lot. I, I always kind of really enjoyed him. Um, even back like in the original Brody Lee run back, like him doing the CZW stuff and fuck it. Like they should have let this go another month and then have these two guys do a Taipei death match at the next pay-per-view hands wrapped in tape dipped in fucking, you know, broken glass. Just let them fucking just beat the shit out of each other on pay-per-view and let them actually bleed. Cause that, that really stood out to me as something that's just like, come the fuck on. Like, really, you're going to have him fucking blade so it looked... And it looked like a blade job. It didn't look real at all. Because I don't think Brody Lee was the planned opponent for John Moxley here, because I think with the pandemic, I think Brody Lee would have got a title shot, but not for a few months. Because I think there were other people like Pac who can't get into the country because he's stuck in the UK. I think he would have probably got a title shot before Brody, but I think it was a case of, who do we have available that has somewhat momentum, somewhat of like believability around them? And I think Brody's one of them. But the fact that John Moxley, he was, his title reign hadn't gone that long. His only other title events was against Hager on Dynamite. And Brody was so early in the company. Like Any believability they had was immediately like, taken away when you realised just like how unlikely it was that Brody was going to win. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think you could have easily... With it being not a no DQ match, you could have easily swung it where the Dark Order 
could have just helped Brody Lee win so John Moxley didn't lose anything because this it wasn't the main event obviously we still got stadium stampede to go so it wasn't the match that was supposedly selling the pay-per-views like you, there were ways around it and I think they just basically went well, we don't want John Moxley to lose so guys here's how important Brody Lee is to us so yeah. I, I don't I don't I don't. I just didn't really get the finish. Like I don't see. Like AEW gets a lot of praise for the fact for the fact they have decisive winners in most of their matches, which is great because in WWE and other companies, not just WWE, that's a real issue sometimes where you watch entire episodes of weekly TV and no one really wins a match. Like there's a lot of cheating, but and there's a lot of like countouts or there's a lot of no one winning. But sometimes it's like, hey, guys, you could have thrown something in on this card because you had decisive winners throughout the rest of the card. Like You didn't need to necessarily do this. But I don't know. It's all about the recovery. Like If, if on Dynamite, Brody Lee wins a good match really easily and looks like a dominant monster, there's an easy path to recovery. So it's all about the follow-up. But it did make him look just a little bit weak. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. why didn't some of the masked members of the Dark Order, like, after they went through the stage, just sort of, like, abduct John, Mar- Mo- John Moxley? Like, why didn't, like, something like that happen? Where, like, the exalted one, Mr. Brody Lee, has an entire legion of people that are at his disposal, yet he didn't really do anything with them except throw them at John Moxley on dynamite for a couple of weeks. And then John Moxley just beat them and then beat Brody Lee. It makes the whole dark order look kind of useless and kind of stupid. And I get, listen, I get that. Like you can't get Stu Grayson and evil Uno and uh, a couple of the other guys. Like why not use John Silver and Alex Reynolds? Like they were there. Why not use 10 again? Why not use, like any number of things that they had at their disposal at the time. Instead, we got a bad blade job and a decisive TKO, like a a technical submission win for, and I get that some people will be like, Oh, well that doesn't really take anything away from Brody Lee. Yeah. But wrestling fans have a brain for the most part. And we remember that like in WWE, like you said, Nathan, this was what happened to Luke Harper. So like he goes to another promotion and he's still essentially Luke Harper, but he's just bitter about being, uh, being let go from WWE and being like joked around with. So like, I, I don't know. I liked parts of this match. There were cool segments of it, but overall this match was just sort of like, whatever, let's get to the fucking big football stadium match. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, just to reiterate your point, the match was really good. It like You've got to ignore the fact it wasn't no DQ and nearly all the match was outside of it, but there were some cool bits like when Lee threw Moxley onto the guardrail that was stacked up kind of like a table at like a weird angle and things like that. And there was some cool action and whatever Moxley's finisher is called now. Paradigm Looks really shift. good. Paradigm shift. And uh, he was kicking out at one at like one or one and a half and look like an absolute monster at times. But yeah, the finish just after it fell a little bit flat. Mm -hmm. So guys, it is very late at night right now as we record this. I would like to get to my bed at some point. It's not too late and I'm not seeing the sun come up. 
So let's try our best here when we talk about possibly one of the best matches of the year, if not the best match of the year so far, the stadium stampede match with an actual ring in the in the middle of the football field, which I don't think they needed at all. You had cheerleaders dancing to both Judas and the Being the Elite song. And you had Jericho and the Inner Circle coming out with football gear on with numbers. I don't know the other guys, the significance of the other guys' numbers, but apparently Jericho was wearing the same number his dad wore when he, his dad was a hockey player. And Sammy Guevara had the year he was born on his gear. And I don't know the significance of the other one. And then Hyman Page, clearly a fan of Father Ted, as he came out on his lovely horse. <laughs> oh, that horse was gorgeous, wasn't he? No, <laughs> oh, I wish they said that a few more times. <laughs> no, I know. He was absolute. Look at that horse. Is, is He's just gorgeous. Um, no, yeah, I mean, this match was, I think I texted it to you guys as I was watching it that this was the greatest thing I've ever watched, and it was. Um, the two things that I know 100% coming out of this entire 34-minute extravaganza that the one-wing angel off of the balcony into the crash pad and the boxes or whatever, that is going to be in the Dynamite uh, intro next week. Hands down, guaranteed that's going to happen. I would put money on it if I had money to put on it, but guaranteed, mark my fucking words, as we sit here and record this, that'll be in the intro with the little, like, splash of color as he hits. Um, R.I.P. Sammy Guevara. Um, And the second thing is that I didn't know how badly my body and my brain needed a new Matt fact, but we got it. And version one Matt Hardy being resurrected in what Excalibur thought was water from the Lake of Reincarnation in that pool, in the football stadium, in Jacksonville, Florida, which is the most Florida thing to ever happen in Florida, and I love it. Um, And the Matt fact, just in case you guys weren't paying attention, was... Matt can hold his breath for 344 seconds, to which they then cut underwater to show Matt Hardy doing the version one Matt thing and smiling like a maniac before he then came back up as broken Matt Hardy. There was nothing about this match I didn't like. Everything about it was fantastic. I don't have to go on about it for two hours. This was fantastic. If you haven't watched it, I've told people who don't even like wrestling to go and watch this match because it was so fucking funny the entire time they, they had a hundred yard suplex and then he got penalized <laughs> at celebration. then Jericho challenged the play and followed Aubrey into the booth to go watch the play over and then he called her a shitty referee everything about this was fantastic I don't give a shit it was the best did you guys see Aubrey Edwards tweet her smiling while on that football field saying best job ever and Jericho quote retweeted it saying worst ref ever. <laughs> but yeah, like I feel so bad for Sammy Guevara waking up on the field thinking he's won the match only to have deja vu the, the golf cart coming after him. Hears, the- when he hears the golf cart behind him and you can almost see the sweat beating up on his brow. And then they redo the shot from Dynamite from a couple weeks ago, but it's on a fucking football. I I fucking loved every single minute of this match. I am going to rewatch it after we're done because I love it so fucking much. I'm in tears right now, still laughing about how much I love this match. (laughs) Nathan, before I I let you see your thoughts, I think my favorite Kenny Omega moment is because you can talk about, I talk for ages about everybody individually, their best moment of this match, but 
the best thing Omega did in this match was when he hit the first ball over Hager's head and Hager no throws it, the look on Omega's face of like, as if he's going to like, you think he's gonna, the guy's going to go down, he's like, and he realises he's not going, going down, he's like, hey man, like, let's talk about this before immediately smashing another three or four bottles on his head. Can we talk about milk whiskey for a moment? Just a moment. When they clink their glasses together, the first thing I thought was, oh, oh no, some milk is going to get in his whiskey. Oh, God, there's milk in his whiskey. Oh, my God, he drank the whole fucking thing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then they, they cut away. I was just like, right then and there, Adam Page vomited uncontrollably. Because I don't know if you've ever had dairy and alcohol together. White Russians are an abomination. I'm sorry if you like the Big Lebowski. White Russians are an abomination, and they don't belong anywhere on this planet. But, oh my god, just, I can't say enough good things about this. I just can't. The uh, the line from TR that I mentioned before, that I liked, was Hangman wandering around backstage on the horse, still looking for Sammy, even though Sammy had made his way back to the football stadium like five minutes earlier. The Dude. line from TR going, if I ever go missing, don't send Hangman Page to look Sammy. for me. Jake Hager caught up to him and all he saw was the horse and he goes oh okay and then like walked down the hallway and then they sat together like they were in a fucking John Wayne movie had a drink of of whiskey and then just started beating the fuck out of one another like oh my the whole whole, are you here to drink are you here to fight reminds me of like Steve Rogers and Captain America saying like asking if anybody wanted to get the elevator before that big fight scene just a a random thing. I I don't think anybody else would have made that comparison, but it's just how my very weird mind works. Nathan, you've been... I'm sorry we've talked over you and not given you your chance. Has Nathan died of happiness? I think he's forgotten how a microphone works. He can't unmute it. There it is. No, I'm here. I'm here. I was just waiting for you guys to finish. Uh, No, I was just going to read... This is from Sunday morning. When I started watching the show, and I got well Sunday afternoon, sorry, when I got to Stadium Stampede, text between me and my girlfriend, which just went in the afternoon. What are you doing? And I went watching a cowboy on a horse try and kill a Cuban. <laughs> <laughs> and she texted me about watching a movie, and I went, "No, I'm obviously watching the best wrestling match of all time." <laughs> so my question to you gentlemen is how much harder is randy orton and edge's job at backlash i love that so much i love the fact <laughs> oh, that everyone just course. spent their time going like oh the last man standing match was terrible it was the worst thing of all time uh only bret hart would like it because he's boring so then they've just gone fuck it we're going to call the rematch the greatest wrestling match of all time it's such a good trolling yes. <laughs> If this match doesn't go, like, bell rings, two minutes in, Orton hits an RKO and pins Edge cleanly in the middle of the ring, then this whole greatest match everything has been for nothing, because he want, knows it's going to be a big fuck you to everyone. Yeah, I want Randy Orton to um, do some, because Randy Orton can do this, is just do some amazing healing and spend 10 minutes just sliding out of the ring at every lockup, <laughs> just to, like, piss everyone off, because it is amazing. <laughs> But back to, back to Stadium Stampede. Um, so, this was... Sorry, sorry. Actually, never mind. I'll talk about a different podcast. Never mind. There you go. <laughs> uh, Stadium Stampede. Uh, this was just incredible. As you said, the Jake Hager, Adam Page stuff were, was great. 
the Matt Hardy when he got his new drone as well towards the end was incredible. Chris Jericho, Judas affecting the mascot, who was just like grabbing his nuts the whole time. <laughs> when he was doing the, the, the hip thrust and he was yeah. pushing his butt forward, and I was just like, this, I can tell that there are Jacksonville Jaguar fans just going like, there he is! That's our boy! Oh! He fucking, he took the Judas effect! Fuck Chris Jericho! Chris Jericho knows how to get heat fucking everywhere. I don't care who you are. It's fantastic. The the end zones had the logos of the teams. Mm-hmm. This yeah, was, was pretty great. The perfect blend of football and wrestling. And I could show my sixty three year old father who played football all the way up until college has been a gigantic uh, New York football Giants fan my entire life, which is why I'm a Patriots fan, uh, just merely to piss him off. Um, <laughs> I could show him this match. And he would think this is funny. And he does not really like wrestling that doesn't involve other bald men with goatees like uh, Goldberg and Steve Austin, which were the only two wrestlers he ever asks me about. Um, And he would think this is one of the best things that's ever happened. It's Uh, this is something this is something that like WWE doesn't do particularly well half the time where every once in a while some of these big matches will happen. And of course, you'll think, well, if somebody who doesn't watch wrestling happen to walk into the room right now how could i explain what i'm watching i live with two people who don't watch wrestling and they walked into the room at least once or twice during the match and they were like what is this and how can i watch more of it and i think this um this this pandemic has slightly shown that both companies can do that like i think Mm -hmm. don't read the boneyard match is that one i don't think the firefly funhouse you could necessarily show anyone I think that was very much for the people who have who have been watching John Cena's entire career, Absolutely. and like the Fiend, like you need to be a John Cena fan to understand that. But I think the Boneyard match and um, and maybe maybe the Money in the Bank match as well because that was fucking mental. And then this <laughs> this is perhaps I don't know. I'd put it on par with the Boneyard match, but maybe that's just because I do like the Undertaker. Like I do like his entire career, so maybe there's a bit of bias in there. But these they were perfectly done, and I think this was perfectly done. Uh, I don't even have any nitpicks or critiques. It was great. Nothing. Like, yeah. like the, no, no. The only thing is when Matt Hardy came up as Hardy Boys, Matt Hardy and Tony <laughs> Schiavone went. Oh, I guess version one Matt Hardy's here. I was like, no, he's oh. not, Tony. You fucking yeah. idiot! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can. You <laughs> like it's like he knew. It, I don't know whether that was a sign that they did the. Com- they obviously did the commentary after the match was recorded. But come on, guys, get your audio synced up, you fucking idiots! <laughs> there's something. A couple, there's two things I want to say before we kind of wrap this up. Cause it's been going very long. Uh, one of them is that I hope that they do enough of these like cinematic like matches in both companies that. By the end of the year, we can do like another tournament of these best kind of like matches, like the Boneyard against the Steven Stampede against the Funhouse match, kind of thing. Oh yeah, we just need eight, four more. Mm-hmm. We need yeah. four more. And the other thing is, I actually think a lot of people thought that Inner Circle was going to win this, so that they were when they eventually did Blood and Guts, that Elite would win that. But I'm glad that's not what happened because if you hedge your bets on like holding off the blood and guts when you don't know when you're able to get a full arena fans back, you risk yeah. the speed playing itself out. I'll be honest with you, 
I know Cody because my dad came up with organs and everything my dad did was gold, even though Dusty Rhodes came up with quite a bit of shite as well that doesn't get talked about. This was better than anything <laughs> we would have gotten from Blood and Guts. Oh, yeah. Let's not talk about it. I think that's a different podcast, but yeah, Dusty Rhodes booking. Let's, yeah, let's not dig too deep to Cody. <laughs> I, mean, Dust, I mean, Dusty Rhodes is probably responsible for one for TNA lockdown concept of every match being a cage, mainly because he made a take of making a joke about it in front of Dixie Carr, who took it seriously. And also, he gave uh, Kevin Ash the gimmick of Oz, who is basically a Wizard of Oz character. Well, you know, just slightly to your point about these insane matches that we're getting because of obviously the pandemic, I don't think anyone will care who loses a lot of them. I don't think. I don't think the inner circle, as long as there's, again, follow-up, as long as there's a good follow-up for the inner circle, this match was insane enough that it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter that John Cena lost to Firefly Funhouse. I don't think AJ Styles, because of the follow-up and because they've moved into SmackDown and everything like that, he's not necessarily massively affected by losing to The Undertaker in that either. These matches are mental enough that it doesn't really matter if you lose them. Mm-hmm. Like it's a free pass, put whoever you like. I think Sammy Guevara taking the fall. He's super young and everything like that. You just give him a good win on the next couple editions of Dynamite or in the, within the next couple of weeks, and no one's going to care that because because of the way he got pinned as well. He got ganged up on. Mm-hmm. Like who cares? Yeah, yeah, and I think this really just made the entire show like it followed that old wrestling trope of send the people home happy um, because they, like you could hear they definitely piped this in to the arena and the commentary was doing commentary to a screen uh, because you could hear the fans who were in the arena chanting for things at, at certain points. And um, honestly, this I'm still buzzing about this two days later. Like that, this definitely was the best thing that they could have done to end the show. And I, like I said, I got nothing as far as like a negative, like this, this made the show a thumbs up five star, hundred percent. I actually already looked Dave Meltzer hasn't put out his stars, but ladies and gentlemen tweet at Dave Meltzer that if he doesn't give this thing at least five stars, he should retire. (laughs) And I wonder if you'll respond on like Joey Janela, but, yeah, still not responded. Like, so we all know who's gonna win biggest big time in fuck next year. <laughs> and if you want to find out who who won biggest big time in fuck this year, you can go back in our archives and listen to the Rogue Opinions first anniversary quiz, along as many other shows like Naked Men podcast, uh, Retro SmackDown, some of the other AEW reviews we went to. If you've got a spare five hours, maybe listen to their full gear review where Nathan went to up because <laughs> mega. Oh, wow. What did I do to deserve that? I was quiet on this one. The, the, the fucking rant is what you did to deserve that. Okay, that podcast explains what you did. <laughs> it was in the before times. <laughs> so guys, I think what we were surprised at when we did like, the anniversary in that was we didn't go as long as we usually did. I think we've made up for that here. Have we? Is it that long? I think I think so. Like I, can't, I don't have the official time here, but 
this is definitely why I expected from an A-Team podcast late, late night recording, but uh, it's been fun, guys, and I think, do you guys want to do your plugs before we, we wrap this up? Yeah, go on, Jimmy. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a fan of professional wrestling and if you've listened to this entire two-hour and 40-minute podcast, then you definitely fucking are. You're going to want to go over to the YouTube channel of Pro Wrestling Magic. We are going to be showing the uh, the, the, the special show from uh, October of 2017 that we put on called Driver Things, where our, at the time, Dark Arch champion Evercross, the god of drivers, took on Gangrel. That is just one of the big matches that takes place during that show. It's got brand new commentary done from within quarantine. Um, that's over at youtube.com slash pro wrestling magic, I think. And uh, if you want to check out everything that's going on on the pro wrestling magic sphere, we're also on uh, Facebook and Twitter. That's at wrestling magic on Twitter, pro, uh, pro wrestling magic on Facebook. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Mr. Riot, that's M-R-R-I-0-T, because you all know the reason, I know the reason, and now I hope to know things that Nathan has going on. Yeah, as always, you can find me at Nathan Greenaway. Uh, Scott's already mentioned you can listen to the Naked Men podcast at Back for the Archives. All the episodes are there. There's lots of new stuff coming out as well. If you want to find out more about Gargamel, head over to the Smurfs official channel over at YouTube Kids. <laughs> Uh, they've got full episodes over over there, so they're over 20 minutes long, so that should entertain you and the family, and you can find out what the fuck that was about. Uh, back to you, Scott. You can find me on Twitter at Scott, so uh, I think I don't know if you guys are said follow Rogue Opinions at Rogue underscore Opinions. Uh, I'm a bit behind this week on the Rogue Reds with Matt Down, because uh, we struggled to get a date with my latest co-host to record, but we've got two... Well, one episode and what looks to be a good episode coming up as we're about on the road to Survivor Series. And like I said, we've got so much other good stuff, the anniversary pod that I mentioned. And yeah, hopefully you enjoy Double Nothing and the same side match. And hopefully you stay with us through this well over two hour podcast as we talked about it. But you know what? Like, there was a lot to get into, and this is what you tune into the A team for. <laughs> good. Anyway. We all did good. Bye, everybody. Sorry for talking over you all the time, Scott. Love you. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>